Hi everyone, this is Hannah. I just wanted to issue a really quick trigger warning for this episode. If you are triggered by sexual violence or talk of sexual violence or pregnancies and abortions or anything along those lines, uh, murder, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a dark episode and I just wanted to give you guys a quick warning. Thanks so much. And welcome to the Senior Detectives Podcast, a cozy corner to talk about mysteries of all kinds. I'm Hannah. And I'm Lauren. Today we will be... be oh my God, I cannot get through that sentence <laughs> without fucking it up every single time. You think about it too much. <laughs> I do. I know that I'm going to mess it up and then I do mess it up. <laughs> okay. I'm Hannah. And I'm Lauren. Today we will be covering The Last Lie Told. It is the first installment in a book series written by Deborah Webb. We'll start today with a summary of the book from Audible. Legal investigator Finley O'Sullivan searches for evidence the police overlooked, wading through secrets, lies, and betrayal to find answers. With the unsolved murder of her husband still very much on her mind, Finley must confront her own personal trauma on a daily basis. Lies are part of her livelihood, but they're also the reason she can't get justice for the man she loved. When a man in prison for murder recants his confession, claiming he cleaned up the mess for his girlfriend, the victim's own daughter, Finley takes on the case. She discovers the victim has identical twin daughters, and the sisters have very different accounts of the crime. As she dives headlong into the twins' traumatic past, Finley will have to contend with her own demons to get the truth before it's too late. So there's kind of two things going on. Mm-hmm. One... Is like the main plot, which is what Lauren read. And then, yeah, just kind of constantly in the background for the whole mm -hmm. series or the whole story is um, Finley's husband's murder previously. Right. Which I was equally interested in both storylines, which surprised me because I'm usually just like, Ugh, get on with the one that I like more, you know, and stop right. telling me about this other one. But anytime that we would go into one I'd want more info on that one. And then it would go into the other one and be like, oh, yeah, I want more info on that one. Yeah, I was the same. I'm always that way, or at least I tend to be that way with any sort of jumping around in books. If it's a book told from different characters' perspectives, mm -hmm. as soon as the chapter ends, I'm like, oh, I want more of that person. And then right. you get to the next chapter and you're like, I don't want to read this one. But that, but by the time you're in, done with that <laughs> chapter, you're like, but I want to read more. But I want more. more. <laughs> it's yeah. the same. It usually annoys me. Mm -hmm. a lot especially if it's from different perspectives but this one for the most part is told from finley's perspective and so it is less jarring it's less upsetting <laughs> than it normally would be you know you're gonna continue on with her story regardless which helped right. a lot i think yeah even though you don't learn a whole hell of a lot about her story because it's a series and I'm gonna be honest with you when I read it the first time I didn't know that it was a series and it got to the end of the book and I was like wait what the fuck what Hold happened to her <laughs> <laughs> yeah she really dangles that carrot she does fair warning we are not gonna 
solve the murder of her husband uh, on this podcast because it's not solved in this book. And I have not read ahead to learn, so no spoilers from us. (laughs) I'm not even sure the next book is out. I know she has a book coming out in March, and I know it's this is going to be a trilogy. And I don't know if the Uh, next the book coming out in March is the third book or the second book, but okay. But either way, she's not done with this story, right? Yeah, Hmm. interesting. Just general feelings about this book. I'm kind of. I'm kind of lukewarm on it, honestly. Same. I am too. It's like middle of the road. There are well, some things I really enjoyed about it. And yeah. then I think it just gets in its own way. And- it does. Yes. I feel that Deborah puts too much effort into making the whole big reveal like, aha, this is the end. Isn't it crazy? Mm-hmm. And at first you're like, oh, shit. But then once you really start to think about it, you're like, really, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if you go back through the book, it's like, it doesn't quite make sense. I yeah, the logistics. Yeah, it, I agree. There's a lot of emphasis on the big twist. Yes. And mm-hmm. if you don't go back and think about the rest of the book, then, then it's, it's usually fine. Yeah. But like, because we had to review it and uh-huh. I like essentially re like skim reread the book for the podcast notes mm-hmm. it just doesn't hold up it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't hold I up. agree yeah when you really start to think about it it's like there's plot holes you're kind of like oh she as the writer was like lying to us and trying to make us not see the twist coming but to mm-hmm. a point that it's not realistic anymore yeah uh, don't love that so Lauren and I just had a chat and um, it's going to be really hard to talk about this book uh, without explicitly talking about that twist ending mm-hmm. because it just affects so much of the story and it affects so much of our opinion of the story. Right. So mm-hmm. from here forward is going to be a major spoiler warning <laughs> right. for like the <laughs> end of the book. <laughs> yeah, it just has such an effect on the rest of the book and the way that we view it. So. <laughs> there's no getting around it sorry it's unavoidable sorry <laughs> yep but I with that being said I was intrigued by the book up until the end I was really fascinated by how it was going to come together mm-hmm. it made me want to finish it um I just wasn't super satisfied with the end agreed it's definitely entertaining and keeps you hooked uh, on the line through the end but yeah, it just it ends on this big thing and then it ends very abruptly. And I I was left feeling like, uh, oh, it is. OK, yeah, <laughs> we're done, I guess. Oh, it's, it's over. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, and you don't get very much more about Finley's story. It does make me want to continue reading the next books because I want to know more about Finley's story. But I want a whole book about her story. I don't want her solving another case and just getting drips and drabs of it here and there. I want to Which know what I think happens. is what it's going to be. Because <laughs> with two more books coming out, she's going to have to stretch yeah. Finley's story out over two uh, more books. So it's going to be more right. of the same, I think. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess let's let's jump into it. Yeah, so we have our, our main character. Her name's Finley O'Sullivan. She's a young-ish. She was an attorney. Mm-hmm. A very 
successful like, yeah, attorney. High profile. She worked her way up to where she was like assistant DA mm-hmm. for Nashville for the district. Yeah. So this is set in Nashville and which is, you know, fairly big city. Mm-hmm. And so she and her husband were attacked in a home invasion and um, he was murdered and then she was sexually assaulted mm-hmm. and beaten mm-hmm. very severely. Um, so she spent a long time in the yeah. hospital and She's- a long time recovering you know mentally right yeah and then a little while later she had another breakdown and then spent time in a rehab for psychiatric needs yeah she's got a lot of survivor's guilt going on a huge amount yeah for more than one reason as we will discuss um so she is no longer practicing law she has essentially been deemed in unfit to to practice and is now practicing as a private investigator mm-hmm. um, for her godfather's firm, whose name is Jack Finnegan. Hey, Finley Finnegan. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> She's named after Jack because of his last name. He was good friends with her mother in the past. They were quite close. Mm-hmm. Her mother, recently. who you'll go on to find throughout the course of the book, is just a cold-hearted bitch. She's terrible. She's, She's awful. awful. Finley is very disconnected. Like they've been estranged, she and her mother, for quite some time now. And Finley just refers to her as the judge in mm. her head <laughs> because her mother is, I think, like, yeah, the head judge in Nashville. And so her mother is very high up, very career driven mm-hmm. and just, yeah, not a cold, just a very cold unfriendly she gives emily gilmore vibes but without any of the i actually do love you daughter there's none of that warmth Mm -hmm. that emily gilmore has it's just very cold she's about the appearances she cares uh, not about her daughter but about how her daughter looks to society Mm -hmm. it's rough her relationship with finley's husband that was murdered was just awful to learn about because yeah. She didn't like it, him and yeah. I do not blame Finley for not speaking with her mother and no. estranging herself from her mother. No. Whereas uh, Jack, on it. the other hand, is like super sweet, uh, like father figure. Caring, warm. Yes. Like I think warmer. She's definitely, she's not unclose with her actual father, but she is right. definitely closer with Jack because yeah. her dad is still very much team mm-hmm. mom mm-hmm. and just wants them to get along. He's mm-hmm. the peacemaker, which I just have no patience for that. No, <laughs> like stick up for her. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You can tell who's in the wrong stick up for what's right. Yeah. Anyways. So I guess um, we can jump into the actual story and mm-hmm. we'll, you know, learn about those characters as we go. The first chapter opens with, Charles Holmes, who is in prison for a murder committed five years ago. He is meeting with his attorney, Theodore Siniard. He wants to tell his lawyer the truth about who killed him. And he's he's in jail for the murder of Lance Lagarde, who was a like a music label executive, like founder of a music label in Nashville. Yeah, so he was a big wig in Nashville, no less. So a big time record studio. And Charlie is in jail for his murder. And he has called his lawyer in because he wants a retrial. 
because as he puts it, I have opened my heart to Jesus, Mr. Simeard. <laughs> he won't let me leave, live this life any longer. I need to tell the truth. Yeah, when it comes in, Siniard is like, you know, I am assuming that everywhere you go in America, there is at least one guy that is the lawyer for like the state and he's got mm-hmm. billboards plastered every five feet on every highway in your state. <laughs> like, yes. I know we definitely had that in Florida. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so he's like that lawyer. And so he took this meeting with this dude because it's a really high profile case, but he's not totally sold that he wants to represent this guy. But, you know, he makes his case that it wasn't him and he basically convinces him to do it. And then but he's like, why wouldn't you have come forward that it's not you all this time later? He says you you confessed to this murder. It's not just you got pinned. pinned. Uh huh. You confessed to this murder. Why would you say now five years in prison that, oh, actually, it wasn't me? Uh-huh. And his whole excuse is that he has Jesus. found Jesus and he needs to turn his life around. Yeah. I can't live this lie anymore. Mm-hmm. But it is being told from the perspective of Charlie Holmes, the guy who's in jail. So you know that he's lying. Like it literally says after that. And that was the biggest lie of all. So it is. In- it's an intriguing first chapter, I would say. Yeah, I think. It was enough to make me like, okay, what's what's actually going on here? Because it just doesn't make any sense. Right. From an outside perspective. So, yeah, why would he turn it around if Jesus isn't the real reason? Which, of course, it's not. <laughs> right. Of course, it's fine. You're, you're, you're in his head and he the way he's talking about it, you're like, oh, okay, so the Jesus thing is not real. <laughs> uh-huh. But you do know that he's trying to protect someone like he is saying that he took the fall for someone and he wants to protect her he calls them a her so that's intriguing as well as who's the her you know Mm -hmm. and that changed in my head several times throughout the book of who i thought he was trying to protect yeah that one actually genuinely got me at the end i was like oh yeah there's several contenders for the the her that's being protected We cut to the next chapter opens with um, Finley O'Sullivan, our former district attorney. Um, She's being questioned about her involvement in a case. Um, Recently, a convenience store was robbed and Finley was present for the robbery, which is a really big coincidence. Mm -hmm. I find (sighs) this was tough to learn about. I didn't like this very much. The reason she's being questioned is a she was there, but also B, they have reviewed the video surveillance of the robbery and it's rough. So the robbery ended with the, the robber being shot by the store clerk, Mm -hmm. which wow. (laughs) Yes. It's a real shock. Uh, And, but in the video surveillance, you find that Finley was a fellow customer and distracted the robber who was armed with a gun. And, It was when they turned the gun on her that the store clerk was able to get their gun and shoot. Which is wild that the store clerk had a gun. But like, I guess the biggest point to this is that I guess there's no voices in the security footage. But you're learning about this from Finley's perspective. So you know that Finley basically baited him into killing her. Yeah, she gets his attention and says, if you want to shoot someone, why not me? And, and walks she toward him. steps up to the gun. 
And oh. yeah, steps up to where the gun is like touching her chest. And then the guy gets shot and killed right in front of her. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a brutal scene to yeah. review. Ooh. And you're learning a lot because you learn like she clearly has some shit going on because like she baited this guy and she was trying to de-escalate the situation but also she was like mm -hmm. pretty okay with yeah. the idea of being shot and yeah. killed she i think says at one point that she's not suicidal like she doesn't actively think of it however when the opportunity presents itself she's not gonna like stand out of its way right which yeah is she kind of just leans into it yeah which, like, <sighs> okay, trauma, trauma. Yeah. She's kind of disappointed that he doesn't get to shoot her. She feels a sense of disappointment that she's not dead, uh, which is rough. That to is hear. rough. It's rough. And it gives a really good sense of why Finley does what she does and where her head's at. It's almost like she feels as though she has nothing left to lose. Absolutely. You also get a really good sense of her in this chapter because she's talking to this detective from the point of view of an attorney and you realize that she's very good at her job. She's really good at lying and working the system, knowing what to say, what to do. Right. She knows what they need to hear and what not to say. And so, you know, she's giving them half truths and, mm -hmm. you know, not lying, but also not explicitly stating the truth and not giving them any more information than they are directly asking for. She's quick. She's clever. And that's all we really get from this little monologue inside her head. It really teases the whole murder situation with her husband, whose name was Derek. I don't know if we mentioned that. Yeah. She kind of thinks to herself that after Derek's murder, said she told the cops, I know who murdered him and mm -hmm. gave them a name. Yeah. And nobody really took her seriously. Nobody, nobody listened her to her. Yeah, and it's really rough. She goes into it more later on, but I think especially because she was sexually assaulted, it really is reminiscent of women trying to share their stories in general and not being believed, even though we go our entire lives being told to be careful and to make ourselves smaller and try not to draw attention to ourselves because we don't want that male attention that could potentially be dangerous. And yet when that actually does happen and we try to tell our stories, nobody believes us. And she's an attorney. Like she's, she's not someone who doesn't know how any of this right. works. She's credible. You would think that if she's saying a name that they would look into it, but mm -hmm. nobody believes her. It's also a very high profile name. I think we don't actually learn much about that in this book, but it's somebody at the top that she thinks gave the order to do this. Mm -hmm. And He's a bigwig, so no one wants to pursue it. To look into it it's too much. Right. Fucked up. <laughs> it's yeah, it's real fucked up. And yeah, like like Lauren said, we don't learn much about it. It's kind of just left with Finley knows who ordered this mm -hmm. and these three thugs mm -hmm. carried it out for him. Yeah. They came in, they murdered her husband, and all three of them assaulted her, which is it's rough. It's really rough. Yeah. But she's trying to get revenge. Yeah, so it turns <laughs> out, it's revealed, one of the three men was this robber mm -hmm. in the convenience yeah. store, which you, you been, start like, to tailing. kind of put together like, oh, okay, it's it's not actually a coincidence that Finley yeah. was in this convenience store with this guy. Right. And her egging him on. Yeah, right. 
is like uh, she's like walking the line between actually getting revenge on this guy and actually really depressed yeah, and finish it. kind of wanting to die. Yeah, yeah like finish the job you started. Mm-hmm. It's, it's horrible. Yeah, it's, it's really wild. horrible. I. Mm, it's really dark. It uh, is dark. I didn't know going into this book that we were going to get that dark yeah. that quickly. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we do. We go straight into it. It doesn't stay that dark, honestly. But the retelling of her past is probably the darkest part about this book. And it's... It's a lot. She finishes her interview and she heads out. And uh, her good friend, Matt Quinn, is leaning against her car as she's headed out into the parking lot. And uh, he's described as blue eyes, sandy blonde hair, inordinately handsome and very (laughs) smart. And I don't know about you, but in my head, this man is Logan Huntsberger. That's how he looks (laughs) like that is literally a description of Logan Huntsberger. And I was like, you're right. Okay, he kind of acts like him, too. Yeah, he like he's a little bit like he's got that a little bit of that like cockiness to him. He also comes from like a privileged background mm-hmm. like Finley does. And they're yep. both high up attorneys in Nashville. Mm-hmm. But he's he really genuinely cares about her. Right. He's very kind. But yeah, just as far as his physical appearance, yes. I was like, oh, OK, so he's yeah. like, <laughs> which it also doesn't help that the actor who plays Logan is named Matt Zucri and this yes. character is named Matt. So it like connected it even more for me. If you don't know, Logan Hornswigger is from Gilmore Girls. And if you haven't guessed by now, we are Gilmore Girls fans. Right. The second Gilmore Girls reference. Uh, I feel like it's not the first time either. No. <laughs> yeah. So he is here and you learn that they have been best friends since childhood, but they know each other really, really well because of that. So The fact that he's there waiting for her outside the police station, Finley immediately suspects that he's got some news. Something isn't right. They sit and talk for a second and uh, he's there because he wants to give her a heads up because he knew she was here being interviewed by Detective Graves again. And he thinks that they may be more involved in that situation and in her husband's murder than she is letting on. Yeah. So they're basically, well... I don't want to say they're on to her because she wasn't involved in her husband's murder. It's pretty obvious Mm -hmm. from her thought process. But she clearly was more involved in the convenience store robbery. Finley hasn't let on that she knows these three thugs that attacked her and Derek and that she has been keeping tabs on them since his murder and mm-hmm. she knows who they are. She's been following all three of them. Yeah. And she literally thinks to herself, one down, two to go, which is intense. She is not playing around. No, she's not. And she's not telling anybody about it, even her best friend. She's totally doing this alone, which again, I feel is the survivor's guilt coming out to play. Like, to be honest, I think she doesn't want to let herself move on. No, she doesn't. She feels very guilty because she reveals later on in the story that the big wig that we were referring to that sent these three thugs, she is responsible for putting his son in prison. He was doing drugs and just messing around with people. Yeah, like he was just a terrible person, privileged brat, you know, and she put justice to him and she believes this is a retaliation for that because one of the thugs, as 
he was beating her said, you took something from me. I'll take something from you. <laughs> it's a bad, <laughs> it's a bad situation. So and horrible. she feels so much guilt because she knows it was her fault that these people mm -hmm. came looking for them and that mm -hmm. these people came to hurt them. She thinks it is. And she almost died. And she knows that she almost died. And so she feels bad that she just barely survived. And now she's okay again. And mm -hmm. her husband didn't. Yeah, it's rough. Okay. But so she works at Finnegan Law Firm, which is named after Jack Finnegan. So she goes back to her office after the detective interview and after meeting Matt. And she is told that Jack is MIA. He's gone. He hasn't been answering calls. The receptionist lady is like pissed off at him because he's <laughs> not responding. It's a concern because they know that Jack has some substance abuse issues with alcohol. And for him to just be off the grid like this mm -hmm. could potentially be that he's on a bender. He's fallen off the wagon. He is sober currently, but it's always a demon that he's fighting. So they're heavily concerned that mm -hmm. he is abusing alcohol. So Finley agrees to go out and find him. And she finds him at his cabin in the woods. Yeah, so she gets there and it's this remote like lake cabin that he has. Good for him. God, it must be nice to be a lawyer or an attorney. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> she gets there and she walks in and everything's been freshly painted and it smells very strongly of paint. <laughs> and she's like, what the hell? And she finds him passed out and there's a full unopened bottle of whiskey on the table so she wakes him up he tells her that something triggered him and mm -hmm. he felt the urge to drink and to fight off that urge he decided to keep his body busy and he started painting and so he just painted his entire like cabin until he got so exhausted that he just passed out which yeah. honestly it's a good coping mechanism. Let me just like, do house projects. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've definitely been there where oh, there's yeah. something I don't want to do. And I want to avoid it so much that I'm like, I'd rather clean my entire house yes, or cleaning. I'd rather go run five miles or like yeah. just anything besides doing that one thing. Yeah. Something else do. that is also productive, but not what you want to do. Yeah. So it's clearly working for him. He didn't dip into that bottle. Yeah. And he and Finley talk about what it was that triggered him. And it is that he had a meeting with a new client the previous day. And it is Sophia Lagarde. She is the widow of Lance Lagarde, the music mogul who um, was murdered five years ago. Clearly, it affected him in a pretty big way. Like the Sophia calls up and she's like, this guy who's in prison is trying to reopen these old wounds He's blaming it on one of my daughters. He says that it's her fault. So I need representation for them. And you wouldn't think that that would trigger him. Like, it's just a client calling for a case. Right. It's a big client and a big case, high profile. It's going to be in the media a lot. But Finley in her head, as as Jack is telling her all of this, it doesn't quite line up for her. She, yeah. she can't make sense of why Jack would be so triggered by... A potential case because yeah it's a high profile case but he's a high profile lawyer like right. he handles stuff like this all the yeah. time 
there's no reason why he should be so freaked by this prospect. Mm-hmm. But and, he doesn't uh, tell her. He doesn't let on. No, he doesn't say anything. And she she kind of probes, but he, he doesn't really say anything. So that's all we get for regarding yeah. that. Yeah, I think I even wrote a quote down. She says to him, even if you're a model citizen your whole life and then you kill someone, you're still a murderer. Why had a meeting with Sophia Lagarde pushed him to drink? I really like that quote. So Sophia is mainly looking for she's really freaked because she's very protective of her daughters. She has twin daughters, Cecilia and Olivia. And Charles Holmes, the murderer, is in prison claiming that Cecilia specifically murdered her father. Yep. And he just covered up for her. So Jack is like, Finley, I want you on this case with me. You're really good Mm -hmm. at knowing when somebody's lying. You're good at reading people. I want you to be as involved as I am and come to all these interviews and get to the bottom of this. And she's like, heck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she's all about it. She's 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 a workaholic. (laughs) She's a workaholic. And she, I think she loves a good case. She loves a good mystery and it's like it was a high profile murder five years ago when it happened mm-hmm. it's gonna be a big one now so she's totally game to take on this case with him yeah so she goes back home to read over case notes and things like that and she kind of reminisces about her relationship with Derek who we learn they went really really fast in their relationship they honestly didn't know each other for very long before they were living together and married yeah it was a whirlwind sort of a romance Yeah, of which her mother disapproved to the point where she tried to pay him to leave Nashville and like break up with her. Fuck, who would do that? She did so many things that are just like any one of those things would have been enough to not speak to her ever again. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she did multiple things. So yeah, yeah, she like tried to bribe Derek to leave Nashville so that Finley wouldn't be with him. Derek gets murdered yeah, and Finley gets beaten nearly to death and she never comes to the hospital to visit her daughter or check in on her daughter or see if she's doing okay or anything. It's baffling. It's terrible. It's, uh, yes. She did not attend Derek's funeral. We do not like the judge. (laughs) No, she's a terrible person. Yes. And Finley, you know, it's told from her perspective and so she... She doesn't outright hate her mother. No, which, why? I don't, yeah, that's the part I, it doesn't line up for me where I'm like, I just, she continues to like make yeah. excuses or be more tolerant yes. of her of her mother's behavior than I would be. No, God, no. She says that it's because her mother grew up in a time where the thing you did was got married and have a kid. As a woman, that's what you were expected to do. So basically she feels like her mom just did those things, got out of the way, And then became a career woman. And that's what she really cares about and doesn't really care about Finley. And I'm like, Finley, that's not an excuse. She doesn't care about you. That can all be true. And you can sympathize with the judge for that. But also it can be true that she's a terrible mother and Finley shouldn't have to have a relationship with her. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And everyone's trying to get her to keep this relationship alive. And I'm like, y'all should be supporting her, too. Right. Yeah. Finley's dad really tries to be this mediator sort of person and kind of refuses to acknowledge the judge's behavior, his wife's behavior Mm -hmm. toward their daughter. And that's the part where I can't 
abide it because I'm like, there's clearly like something going on here. Yes. And Finley is being abused. This is an abusive relationship. And yes, 100%. You are just not acknowledging that at all, which is abusive in itself. Yeah. Matt, her best friend, kind of doesn't really acknowledge it either. Yeah. Nobody seems to be on Finley's team regarding her relationship with the judge. Yes. And you can tell that Finley really, really loved Derek, like really cared about him. Um, while he was alive and you know they bought this house together it was supposedly a fixer-upper so Derek had been like renovating it at the time of his murder um she often has thoughts of what Derek used to say to her and it's all very cute and sweet and it's sad it's very sad yeah yeah you get little glimpses into her and Derek's past and it is like they were clearly happy and while it was a whirlwind romance it was like a healthy relationship and they seemed to be doing really well and mm-hmm. yeah, it moved fast, but it seems like it was yeah. working yeah. until she was happy until his death. And mm-hmm. now that he has gone, like we said, we don't think that she's allowing herself to move on because she's living in the house that he was murdered in, in the exact same state that it was left. Right. It's a real fixer upper of a house, like kind of a dump. He had only done a little bit of work on it mm-hmm. by the time he was murdered. So, and she hasn't really carried on with the fixing of the house. So she's mm-hmm. living in this like yeah dump of a house, and it's in a nice neighborhood. It's just an old house that was kind of broken down, mm-hmm. and yeah, she's she's just living in this like constant reminder of Ugh. it, and just not moving on. And yeah. it all is very like self yes punishing yes behavior, mm-hmm. which just really sucks. She's very strong. She's not wallowing in self-pity, but she's no. very clearly giving herself the hardest time possible as a way to try to like, I don't know, to. It's not necessarily a conscious decision, but she is clearly like not letting herself move on. And in addition to that, not letting herself like enjoy mm-hmm. anything. She wants to be, unhappy. I be feel like happy. She feels like she deserves to be unhappy. Mm hmm. For sure, she does. Boo to that. The next chapter, after Finley gets home, it cuts to a new chapter. And at the beginning of each chapter, it says where the chapter takes place, the time of day. um, And if it's told from somebody else's perspective besides Finley, it will clarify. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't happen very often. Not very often. And the next chapter is told from Olivia Lagarde's perspective um and it's really short it's mm-hmm. just like a page and a half they usually are if they're not finley they're usually really short chapters just a little glimpse into somebody else's psyche um and it's olivia is one of the twin daughters of lance lagarde the man that was murdered and this character olivia uh after her father was murdered left town left nashville went to california went to college out there and has been living her own independent life in California ever since. And she is dreading coming back home to deal with all of this. She's Mm -hmm. dreading seeing her mom and sister. She kind of has kept everything at arm's length ever since. Mm -hmm. It's like she ran away. And she heavily fears that her mom and sister are going to make her feel like she murdered this. Like she did this and she murdered her father. They're going to try to pin it on her. And she thinks to herself at the end of that chapter, they're going to be very, very sorry that I was forced to come back. 
All right. And this is where... Is now the time? I think now's the time. <laughs> I feel like this is where we have to talk about the fact that there okay. is only one twin. There's alive. only one twin. That is the big thing at the end of this book is the big plot twist. The <gasps> moment is that there's only one twin. And there's... Yeah, there used to be two. One of them is now dead. And... Okay. Okay. <laughs> you don't know that until the end, right? And so there are a couple chapters like this one from Olivia's perspective and her sister Celia's perspective. And I feel like this is the author trying to make it so that you don't suspect that there's only one of them throughout the whole book so that you get that big aha moment. And I don't yeah. think I like it very much. No, it feels forced because yeah. otherwise the whole book is from Finley's perspective. You never get into right. Jack's head or Matt's head, like literally anybody else's perspective except for the twins. Yeah. So it feels like it stands out a lot. Mm -hmm. And after you've read the book and you realize like, oh, that's why she was doing it. It's like she felt like the twist would have been too obvious. And so mm -hmm. she was like, I need to go back and write these really short little chapters just to throw mm -hmm. them off the mm -hmm. scent. Yeah, because in these chapters, the twins are thinking about the other twin as though they're both still alive. Mm -hmm. And yes, it comes out that one of them is crazy and she's got like disassociative identity disorder. And so she does like genuinely think that she is both of these twins at separate times. However, mm -hmm. it just doesn't, it doesn't track. For it me. doesn't work. It doesn't track. It absolutely feels like, oh, those chapters weren't actually cohesive to the story. They were mm -hmm. just stuck in there mm -hmm. for the e explicit purpose of making you think, yeah. oh, I may have had a theory that there is mm -hmm. only one person, but it can't be because right. like, reading from right. their perspective yes. because i literally as soon as soon as they were like there's twin sisters uh -huh. i was like this is there's gonna be some fucking twin yeah. shenanigans mm -hmm. going on yeah one of them's gonna be impersonating the other one like there's always some fuckery with twins yeah because that's the trope yes. so instantly i was suspicious and then as the story went on i was still suspicious Confused. that it was only one person because i was yeah. like it definitely crossed my mind and I was like, I'm, I, I feel like this, this might only be one yeah. person mm -hmm. pretending to be both twins. But then you keep getting these chapters. And so I was like, yeah. I guess it's Sometimes not. I the twins are together in these chapters, like mm -hmm. speaking to each other, like back to back. And even if someone is crazy, I'm like, it's not physically possible. And I, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you that. It is seems very removed. And I would literally write in my notes, I think there's only one twin. And then the very next chapter would be the twins together. And I would have to write and be like, well, maybe, maybe. I not. guess I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you. I'm so yeah. confused. <laughs> I felt so vindicated at the end because I had yeah. definitely also taken notes. Like, I'm pretty sure there's only one twin. Yes. And then immediately felt dumb because it was proved yeah. that that was wrong. And to be a little fair to the author. The chapters where the twins are together are only from the twins' perspectives. Nobody else ever sees them together. So there's not a plot hole like that, but it still makes it unrealistic to me. Because they're like sending each other text messages and shit. I'm sorry, do you have two phones? 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. One of them texts a video to the other one at one point and you're like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> she just texting her own phone number or like just looking through her own camera roll watching this video. Like, I don't know. There are like logistical things yes. that don't make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's only one twin, guys. And she twin. has split personalities. And it will affect yeah. everything to do with these twins. So, yes. All right. So the next day, Finley is going to prepare to interview the Lagards, the mom and the two twins with Jack. As she's doing that, her dad calls her and is like, you need to come to your mom's 60th birthday party. Yeah. Calls her with the the, the good old guilt trip phone call <laughs> that we all love to receive. Yeah. <laughs> Which, oh, my God. And Finley immediately is like, she doesn't actually care that I'm there. She wants the appearance of me being there. You know, because all the society, high society people of Nashville are going to mm-hmm. be at this party and she can't have her daughter not be at this party. Mm-hmm. And her dad, like, wants to make her mom happy. So he guilts her into going. Boo. It makes me so mad. It does. <laughs> it makes me so mad. I yes, oh, it Honestly, makes my blood boil. <laughs> yes, this plot line isn't even that big of a plot line compared to the rest of the story, but I focus on it because I don't like it so much. And her dad, if he was just, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but like just more honest about mm. about her mom's intentions, he's like, yeah, yes. I know she just wants it for appearance sake, but like I would like to see you. I right. would like you to be there. Yeah. Then that would be a lot more respected by me, but he tries to do the the whole like everybody's going to want to see you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like it's like he really believes these lies that he's telling and he's Finley doesn't fall for it for one second, but like it just it's manipulative and I don't <sighs> yeah. like it. I'm really yeah. just not into it. It's very passive. And he tries mm. to be the good guy in this situation and absolve himself of any responsibility. Right. Yes. When your daughter has been through literally so much trauma, like, can you just give her a break? But anyways, so she picks up Jack and they go to the Lagarde mansion, a mansion, because they're rich. Um, and there are protesters outside of this mansion that are followers of Charlie Holmes. So Charlie Holmes is the one that gets imprisoned for the murder of Lance Lagarde. Uh, But he was also like a musician at that music label. So he's got kind of a following, like people like him. He didn't have enough time before he went to jail to like really make a big Mm -hmm. breakthrough in the music industry. But he definitely amassed enough of a local following where people... People do this anyway with serial oh killers. Oh my god, they do. They, don't they get they? like fan clubs, and it's creepy and it's unnerving so and weird. awful. It's so strange. It's yes. such a weird. It's a whole thing. It's, it's like- a whole subject. <laughs> we could do like a whole podcast <laughs> on that right. phenomenon alone. You're right. You're right. Yeah, but it doesn't help that he also is like a talented musician yeah. who amassed a little bit of a fan club. It was like attractive before. And, yeah, all of the makings of you know getting people to kind of follow him like he's the leader of a cult but he really didn't have to do anything for it (laughs) no not at all yeah so they're they're protesting out there with signs just tell the truth charlie holmes is innocent Mm -hmm. and you're like and they come back into play in a very weird way they basically tail finley and let her know how well she's doing in the case in really creepy ass ways yeah i (sighs) 
I, I just, I took, notes. The- <laughs> I took notes on this. It, this whole thing really bugs me. Yes, I, I can see why. Yeah. And we'll just talk about it now. Like every, every time Finley makes a big step forward in the case, they, because they're tailing her, they will like be standing outside her house or standing mm-hmm. outside her car or whatever. And yeah. they'll have like a sign that says like, you're getting warmer yeah. or hot or whatever yeah. as she gets closer and closer to the solution. And what bugs me about it is sometimes she's just like coming out of her house yes. or she's just like coming out of Jack's firm or like somewhere that she would be anyway. So yeah. it's not like, how could they know she had made <laughs> progress? They can't know that. They it's can't dumb. Know. And so like to the point where they have to know that she's making progress. They have to go tell Charles Holmes about it in jail. He has to be like, okay, this is how close she's getting. And here's what I want you to say. And then they have to go back to her. It makes but zero like, sense. It happens right after she makes an epiphany about something. Right. Yeah. And she will make an, a connection in her brain in and her she'll mind. walk out of her house and they'll be like, you're getting warmer. And I'm like, you can't know that. <laughs> Get out of here. And it's this is one of the things, the little things about this book that annoy me because it just doesn't make any sense. And it's just thrown in there to like add suspense Mm -hmm. because they kind of they tend to like sneak up on her Mm -hmm. or be like stalking her. It's so weird. It's super creepy. Like, yeah, but like it's so clearly just like thrown in there. And it doesn't actually make sense given the storyline. It annoys the shit out of me. And as long as we're ranting about it, because we passed the chapter where it <laughs> happened, and I wanted to point it out, yeah. that she makes a point, I say she, the author, makes a point of the header of every chapter will have the day of the week, the time, mm-hmm. the date, the specific location. Like, whenever they're at Finley's house, it's called the, the murder, murder house. house. And on one chapter, it's completely wrong. <laughs> And it annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> I did not notice that. <laughs> so there's a whole chapter where Finley leaves Jack and she's driving home and gets to her house. It's that whole chapter where she's like pondering her relationship with Derek and no his murder way. and stuff. And the header for that chapter says that she's at the Lagarde mansion. <gasps> it does not. It does. And it totally confused me because I was like, oh, no. And so, and Come I'm on, but editors, just, pick up on that. <laughs> right. I'm like, who edited this? Because yeah. A, it was totally wrong. And B, there's no consistency no. with the headers themselves. They're always in a different order. It's never like, <laughs> it's never like time, <laughs> date, location. It'll, it, that gets mixed I up every I single time. That. I think I would just it, like skip over that shit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's just, I'm, I know it's a nitpicky thing, Is but I'm though? like, because you like genuinely were confused by it. So I was genuinely confused by it. And, but like the order thing I know is nitpicky. But I'm also like, if you're going to go through the effort of putting all these little details at the beginning <laughs> of every chapter, then like put them in the same order and make sure they're right. Like, yeah. I, it's it's not so much an author problem as it is an editor problem where I was like, who did th- who edited this? <laughs> right. Because yeah. you <laughs> missed a really big thing. Wow. <sighs> anyway. It was a, I, I just had that note and I was like, yes. I don't know when to talk about this, but since we passed <laughs> the chapter where it happened, I was like, mm. So Finley goes into the Lagarde mansion with Jack and they sit down with Sophia, the mom, and Cecilia, one of the twin daughters. And this is a very manipulative chapter. 
because <laughs> you get a first impression of them, which is kind of right, but also kind of not. And it bothers me a little bit because yeah. Sophia is very like put together. She just wants to protect her daughters. They're both like united kind of against Olivia. Cecilia is like messing with her hands. She like won't look at anybody. She's very fidgety, very nervous. Mm-hmm. Totally different. Because we just came out of Olivia's inner monologue. Yes. Who's like feeling confident, like unsure about coming back, but like mm-hmm. no indication that, that she would act like this. And so yes. Cecilia, yeah, is like a totally different shift from Olivia's from personality Olivia. type. Yeah. And they ask about Olivia, like, why isn't she here? We're supposed to be representing all of you. And uh, Cecilia says, Olivia won't come here. She hates this house, hates us. And I guess it (laughs) bothers me so much because Sophia supposedly knows. She knows there's only one twin. We think that twin is Cecilia. Mm-hmm. And she goes along with this whole thing. This whole act. Yes. Because it's an act. I mean, it's, it's a full act. on act. Like, I mean, I guess I don't know if she's technically acting, if that's the right word. But like she is in the Cecilia personality right now, mm-hmm. supposedly. That's the, that's the other thing is mm-hmm. like the people who have split personalities like this aren't in control of when they right. are which personality mm, that's which a is a huge plot point. hole for this whole thing i didn't you can't, even think about that you're fucking right you have no control like you can't choose so she may be cecilia here or she may be olivia having to pretend to be, be cecilia. cecilia yeah that's rough and at the end of the book cecilia says that her mom told her to let olivia out like, because she's got them both in her head. And I'm like, can you just release it like that? No. I mean, no, of course you can't. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just not, it's just not, that's not how any of this works. It's not how it works. So Sophia basically told Cecilia, you have to also be Olivia. You've got to let them both come out to play so that it doesn't look like Olivia isn't here anymore. And we mm-hmm. got to like fake it. We have to fake that Olivia is, like, back from California. Right. Like, they got her a hotel room and everything. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just, I know she wants to protect her daughter, the remaining one, but she really does the most to go along with this shit. Yeah. It's a whole charade. It is. While knowing that her daughter, like, sincerely needs help. Like, her daughter is fucked up. And isn't seeing a doctor. No. She doesn't have her daughter... in in any sort of therapy or medical intervention help. She's not like to our knowledge, she's not like on any medication to try and help, but they create this whole lie that Cecilia is agoraphobic Mm -hmm. and cannot leave the house anymore. Like this is a development that has happened since Lance's murder Mm -hmm. that like Cecilia had a reaction to that whole trauma of becoming agoraphobic and she never leaves the house. Right. Which, (laughs) yeah and then you see from olivia's perspective when they finally talk to her that she thinks it's bullshit which is all very confusing because she's talking about herself right and you can look back at, at it and be like why did they even seek representation in the first place if they were just gonna lie and lie and lie and lie and lie and i guess it's because 
you come to learn that Jack had an affair with Sophia. And Sophia basically just assumed that Jack would eat up whatever story that she told him and would defend her just the way that she wanted. And I'm like, seriously, babe, do you really think you really think that? I just <laughs> it makes it really hard to enjoy this it book. It does. Knowing going back over it again. Yeah. Knowing the the twin twist at the end. And yeah. it's just very hard to make sense of it all and to come to peace with all of the, the <laughs> things that she has to do in order to make this big twist at the end work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't quite figure it out. No. No. So they interview Sophia and Cecilia and they both claim that they neither of them has ever known Charles Holmes, mm-hmm. despite Why? what he says. Like they deny any contact with him, and that neither did Olivia. They don't think Olivia did either, to their knowledge. Basically, they're just like we didn't know him at all. And I'm like, even if you didn't know him in context for the murder, he still worked for your dad slash husband. Like you didn't know him at right. all. Right, he was still represented. By his label. Yeah. Right. So there had to be some sort of connection. Yeah. They both claimed to have had good relationships with Lance and mm-hmm. that there was no untoward relationships with either Sophia or with the girls. Like he was a good father by all accounts and there wasn't any like inner family drama happening. Which, no. So no motive for murder against their obviously father or husband. Not true. Right. Clearly is untrue. But Jack and Finley don't know that at the time. So, yeah, they leave that interview and head over to Olivia's hotel Mm -hmm. to interview Olivia. (laughs) Right. Which let's see, what is the time here? Uh, At 8.05, they get there for this interview. At 10.30, they're at the hotel meeting with Olivia. Olivia is Cecilia. They are the same person. A wig on now. She has painted her nails. Which it's revealed that it's um they're fake nails, but still that takes yeah, some they're time. Like, All right. It takes some time. It does. <laughs> I can attest. It is not a just like stick them on and go in yeah. order for it to look good. So she's put together. She's like, you know, the whole personality being different is believable, but just the timeline, anyways. Olivia claims that growing up she was the golden perfect child you know Mm -hmm. she used to do cecilia's homework um sometimes she would even take tests for cecilia like they would impersonate each other she got straight a's she was quiet bookish she didn't really have a social life and she claims that cecilia was basically the direct opposite of her yeah just a wild child sneaking out to party and that she had a rocky relationship with their dad because of her partying habits Mm -hmm. um and she claims that cecilia lies about everything all of the time like she was like you can't trust anything she says which i swear is put there to confuse the reader yeah because they both say that about each other the whole book yeah you can't trust Mm -hmm. that one you can't trust that one you can't trust the other one is put there so that you never know which one to trust if either of them I know the literal title of the book is The Last Lie Told. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of lies, Mm -hmm. but like it gets frustrating. It's frustrating. At first, you're like, oh, okay," But then as it goes on, it just gets kind of tedious, (laughs) a little tedious. It does. Yeah. 
they learn from these interviews that um, one of Lance's investors and in the label, his name was Seth Henderson. They learned that he was having an affair with a young girl and that she had big aspirations to make it in this music industry. And so as a favor to Seth, Lance gave her a shot. Mm -hmm. And because he did this, she was basically a spy for a rival record label. And because Lance let his guard down and let her in, he lost a really big artist to this rival record label um he got poached kind of yeah got a you know big loss of money millions and millions of dollars um and so that could potentially have been a motive for murder with seth and lance like there was bad blood Mm -hmm. there and something may have gone on there and Mm -hmm. that's what sophia and the girls tell them that's what they think that's like right there's there's not a lot of confirmation they're like if we had to make a guess yeah. This is the only person we know of that could have potentially had any other motive. It turns out that Seth has passed away. Mm-hmm. After the murder. So, like, he still could have done it. Yeah. In the five years since, he has since passed away. Uh, and his wife, Gloria, is still alive. And so that she's somebody that they could potentially go talk with and check on. You also learn, after they leave the Lagarde mansion, Finley is like, Jack, clearly you're not telling me the whole truth. What's up? And he does admit to having an affair with Sophia. And I think you you don't get much expanse on it right then. But later in the book, he says that she had reached out to him right before Lance's murder, wanting a divorce. And so she was going to him for advice. And they ended up together, bumping uglies. Mm-hmm. And once he was murdered, the whole thing got kind of dropped. Yeah, they both kind of just stepped away from it at that point. But that's why he tried to fall back off the wagon and drink again is because there's a history. There's a history there. It ended poorly in the sense that like it was ended because her husband was murdered and didn't look good that she was pursuing (laughs) divorce right before her husband was murdered. Yeah. So... Yeah, but you never really suspect Sophia. I never really did. No, and I didn't suspect that Jack was hiding anything with like ulterior motives or no. anything. He was just like knew that it looked bad yeah. and so was trying to keep it under wraps. But so Finley's like, okay, well, you cannot interview any of them. Al- <laughs> like you can't be alone with any. Like yeah. I have to be present for every interaction yeah. Yeah. in order for this to be ethical at all. Right. That's another thing. <laughs> Finley is very ethical sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not consistent at all, and it bothers me. Anyways, later that day, after all of the interviews and things, Matt, Finley's best friend, surprises her at her work with lunch. Literally, he's like, have you eaten recently? Because it's like a stereotype that lawyers and attorneys have no life and all they do is their job and they forget to do basic things like eat and shower and sleep and drink water. However, I know people that are like that. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Workaholics. I am like that to a certain extent. It's I'm not <laughs> distracted are. by work. I'm just distracted by literally anything. And <laughs> <laughs> don't remember like hours will go by and I'll feel hungry. But my body doesn't, like, recognize that I'm hungry until I'm, like, starving. (laughs) Wow. No, I eat all the time. 
And I'm like, (laughs) oh, a shower would feel good right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a stereotype for a reason. Like, it does happen. Well, also, she's, like, working through this trauma of her attack and Derek's murder. That's true probably just isn't taking care of herself in general. So it's a really yeah. kind gesture that he like shows up mm-hmm. with lunch and is like, yeah. look, you're, I know you're probably not eating as much as you should. Mm-hmm. Take a break. It's Have cute. lunch with me. I do like Matt a lot. Yeah. He is there for her. And it's clear, like Finley knows that he has feelings for her. It's not a secret by any means. Yeah. Like Matt doesn't even try to, keep it under wraps and he's outwardly very affectionate to her yeah and has told her like you're the only girl for me like and he said he says it in like a very casual way but in a way where you're like he's not trying to pressure her right or make her but also you know that he genuinely but it's true yeah he basically just has casual relationships because he's in love with her it's kind of sad and Derek always used to tell her you know he's super in love with you, right? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but he's just my friend. We've known each other forever. And she's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but he comes to tell her that she, that her old boss, District Attorney Arthur Briggs, she used to be the assistant to him. They work together very closely, is concerned that Finley's history, all of her husband being murdered, her breaking down in the courtroom, will be brought into the media and jeopardize the Logard case that she's working on. Um, which, fair, that's definitely going to happen. That's absolutely a huge concern and a valid concern. Mm-hmm. And everybody seems to react to it like he's being unreasonable. And I'm like, it absolutely is not it's unreasonable. She, 100%. whether or not she's of sound mind now, yeah. just her history is going to be enough to to jeopardize this like and if oh, i was sure. the da i would also be like no no <laughs> you need to like, not be on it yeah he's painted as kind of an asshole and i have no doubt that he is but he's also right which sucks you know it does an suck. asshole's right every now and then and it always sucks <laughs> and it sucks for her because it's kind of telling that she's never really going to be able to be on a high profile case ever again without it all being dredged up it's gonna follow her around there's no there's no way around it yeah unfortunately it sucks and he also tells her that detective wellman who was the lead detective on her husband Derek's murder case committed suicide the day before which is huge news yeah like really sends her reeling like she can't understand why this would happen like why he would do this and she remembers that um she actually missed a call from detective wellman the previous day and that he left a voicemail that she hasn't listened to yet Mm -hmm. and she's like why why would he do that like she never got any impression that he was having like depressive thoughts or Mm -hmm. was in any sort of like a suicide risk situation so it really comes as a shock to her it's more layers to this that you never get answers for in this book there's definitely going to be, there better be answers in <laughs> future books because be. otherwise I will be very mad at this like dropped plot point. Yeah, right. And they, she also learns that um, the chief of police immediately reassigned uh, Finley's case, Derek's murder case, to somebody else. His name is Eric Hauser. He's a brand new detective. And Matt reveals that he thinks that this has specifically been done like so quick that it moved. Because he wants to distract her from the Lagarde case, too. So, like, the odds are stacked against her. These high-up people in this city are trying to get her off this case. 
they're actively, yeah, like he wants her off this case. He's trying to like catch her being unfit for the job mm-hmm. by like being distracted by her own personal life. And yeah, he's like pushing her murder case back into circulation. It's very corrupt. It's super corrupt. Like Briggs, like we said, he's an asshole. He's an asshole. He's a, he's right. He's a he's clever an asshole. asshole with a lot of power. <laughs> we move on to um Finley who is visiting a man named Alex Collins, and he is now running Lagarde Records. Yeah, so he took over when Lance died. He started out as an assistant um, and just worked his way up and is now like running the whole label. He recalls that the young woman that was having an the affair traitor. with Seth Henderson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, her name was Cherry Prescott. And Lance gave her, I know, what a name, right? Like, Cherry. <laughs> it's uh, sorry to all the cherries out there if you're listening. I've to never this, but like, heard of a real life. I've cherry. never met anybody named Cherry before. No. Yeah. It feels like a stage name, it does. but it's not yes. a stage name. No, because she keeps it after she says sayonara to the music industry. So, uh, whatever. <laughs> he says that Lance was set on ruining Seth after the whole fiasco happened mm-hmm. um, and that he basically pushed Seth out of the music yeah. business like and that this would be made it where nobody in town would work with him that this was a possibly really legitimate motive for Lance's murder yeah but Alex is like I knew him pretty well and don't think that he could stomach an actual murder yeah and he also implies that Cherry was having an affair with Lance. And that is a direct opposite kind of approach than Sophia and Cecilia said. They thought that she was having an affair with Seth. But Mm -hmm. this assistant guy is saying that she was having an affair with Lance. It adds confusion. (laughs) Yes. Since all of this happened in the five years since, she has married a local movie producer named Elton Inglewood and has this very kind of like idyllic life. She's settled down. She's, she's like, settled down. She's living her life. A bit of a gold She's got digger. herself a mansion. <laughs> but she actually likes yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. Things are working out for her. So she, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, okay, well, we clearly need to go talk to her. But they go talk to, well, I guess this is just Finley, not Jack. Mm-hmm. Before she goes to talk to her, she goes to talk to Seth Henderson's widow, Gloria, because Cherry was unavailable. So she's like, okay, well, I'll go talk to this other woman that is connected to it. And this chapter is like a whole lot of nothing. Like, Gloria never comes back to play. So why even, like, set up her character as much as they do? Yeah, they really set her up, and it's just a big nothing pie. Yeah. (laughs) They set Gloria up. They give her, like, this element of, like, of mystery to yeah. her. So she's done really well for herself mm-hmm. since Seth passed away. She's now a very successful uh, romance author. Yeah. As she's being questioned by Finley about Charles Holmes and if she knew him and what the relationships were and like successful history, she refers to Charles as Charlie and Finley catches it right yeah. away. Yeah. Finley's they like, make a oh. point to be like, you used a familiar name of him. You used his yeah. nickname. Like why, why'd you call him Charlie if, if you never knew him and you're not familiar with him at all. Which is just like, and this never comes back into play. It never comes back into play. And Gloria's like, oh, like I must have just misspoken. And you're, you're like instantly suspicious. And then yeah. it just is literally never even mentioned you, again. They don't talk to Gloria ever again. 
She's never even like, because you're in people's head. You're in Finley's head. Finley never even literally thinks, thinks about, about this woman again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, like okay. Like, I, you could have just, I don't, I don't know. It's weird to have a whole chapter where she goes to talk to this lady and it's yeah. so detailed. And then it's just like, oh, I don't know anything. Nothing happened. I don't believe you, but I'm never going to think about it again. I guess it's true. I guess we just have to assume it's true that she didn't actually know anything. Yeah, which I mean, I think that is it is true. It's just strange that like Finley never goes back to double check on that at all. (laughs) She goes back to her house and she's reviewing evidence uh, and some of the evidence submitted by Charles Holmes's team is a handwritten letter by Cecilia saying that how much she hated her father and that she wanted it done as soon as possible but the it that she's referring to is never elaborated on in the letter. She just is talking about how she wants something done as quickly as possible. Yeah. It's really suspicious. And Finley's like, okay, well obviously this doesn't look good, but like we're going to get to the bottom of it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I think it's the first time. Well, maybe it's not the first time, but she's definitely having a moment. Like is the client that I'm supposed to be proving is innocent guilty. And I don't think she's super about, representing guilty people at least not for this sort of crime yeah she's more being a detective not really caring about the interest of her clients she just wants the truth it's interesting because jack definitely seems like he's preparing to actually defend yeah in court Mm -hmm. and finley is just like i just want to know what happened and whether they did it or not right yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) right it's not like she's internally convinced that they're innocent it's it's strange. It's a weird kind of a thing. Uh, but she gets back to her house and there is a cop waiting outside her house. His name is Richard Montrose. And he is the detective who worked this case five years ago. He was mm-hmm. the original detective on the Lance Lagarde murder case. One and of. he's just he's retired. Uh, now. Yeah, one of. Yeah, he's retired. Yeah. This is the first time that somebody is waiting for her when she gets home. This happens so Constantly. often. People just sit outside this woman's house just all the time. <laughs> I know. All the time. <laughs> like, gosh, can she not just go into her house for a little bit first? <laughs> it's just a weird thing. Like, how often does this happen to people? Like, never. We're in a world of like cell phones. If you know she's not there, like just leave or like ask when she is going to be there or something. It's just she's constantly coming home to somebody waiting for her out front of her house. And it's like, <laughs> we think weird. you like you're going to think that we're exaggerating, but we really are not. It happens it, over and over and over it again. Does. It's strange. He basically says, like, look, I'm retired now. I'm not in the best of health. Like, I think yeah. he's got like a terminal illness. His story is sad. She's like, it why is... did you come forward with all this information now? And he says his wife died and he just got diagnosed with terminal cancer. So he has he's nothing like, left fuck to it. Lose. Like, I don't have anything else to live for. I'm not worried about somebody coming after me. I'm here to just give you the honest truth about what I thought about this case. Yeah. And he says that the situation in which Charles Holmes was found and pinned with the murder never made any sense to him. So Charles Holmes was found driving around with Lance's body inside Lance's Jaguar. And he says that the whole thing just never made any sense because when they did forensics on the car, that it was like very clean Mm -hmm. and it was like his body had been put in there. And everything had been wiped down. And then 
Charles had done an extra effort to like touch as much yeah. stuff in the car as he could. Leave only his DNA. Right. So you would yeah. think like if this is a family car, like Lance's prints are going to yeah. be in there. The family's mm-hmm. prints are going to be in there. Nobody's prints are in there, but except for Charlie. So it's clear that like he wanted to be caught. Right. And it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. He wanted no. to be caught. He wanted it to be obvious that he did it. Mm hmm. Yeah. And have that evidence be really and concrete. That just seems so obvious that it is frustrating that the police department didn't like think of it as, oh, this could be a false confession. They were just like, oh, this was easy. We're done. Which it happens. You hear about that happening in true it crime podcasts. You hear where police like get an easy answer and they're like, great. Yep, this is it. This makes sense. We don't need to question this at all. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, but th- that doesn't make any sense. And they're like, oh, but. No, on paper though, it he it, did it. He he confessed. Yeah, and you're like, okay, but the logistics of this <laughs> makes zero sense. Uh, it's frustrating. So Finley is instantly like, okay, interesting. And this detective is like, I voiced those concerns, and they were basically like, shut up. They nobody wanted to hear it. Everybody yeah. was like, open and shut. We we solved the case. Done. Um, so he does think that Holmes was definitely hired by somebody to carry out this murder, and that he did a good job of making sure that he was pinned. He also confesses that he thinks that Sophia Lagarde did it um, because she wanted to protect her daughters and he was convinced that Lance was sexually abusing them. Just spoilers, this gets disproven. He never was, I don't think. Right. I think he did have like a rocky, strange relationship with Cecilia because Mm -hmm. she was like, just a normal parent being frustrated with a, a normal yeah. kid who's and having like crazy. behavioral problems. And yeah. Things, yeah. But like no sexual assault happening right there. Finley is like, oh, she's digesting this information. She goes inside her house and she pulls out. She's got a file hidden under her mattress and it's her. Literally sleeping on top of her trauma. Literally. Like it's her husband's case file. And this is when you find out that, yeah, there was a pharmaceutical mogul somewhere in Nashville and his son was a drug addicted rapist and Finley put him behind bars. And that is why she thinks Derek was murdered. Yeah. And she was getting threats. So it's a fair assumption. Oh, yeah. I would have come to the same conclusion. It makes perfect sense. What really sucks about this is that she's reading it right before bed. When we talk about her being like self-punishing and really like not allowing herself to move on, she is really just not interested in moving on or putting any of this behind her. Like she she wants to feel bad. She does. And she wants revenge on these three men who murdered her husband. Like she is out for revenge. It's like part of what's keeping her going. For sure. And uh, all right. Where we kind of leave off there, and then we get a Cecilia oh, chapter. We get a Cecilia chapter. <laughs> no, this is no. This just is the one no. that I really think holds up most poorly. Yes, I agree. You can just rip into this one. So it's a Cecilia's perspective chapter, and she's thinking to herself that she's innocent, and that Olivia has come back into town to pin it all on her. And she really hopes that Finley is going to discover the truth. Um, And then as she's thinking all of this to herself, she is watching a cell phone video that has just been texted to her. And it is from Olivia, a video that Olivia sent to her, where Olivia is walking around inside Finley's house while Finley is in there sleeping. 
Yep. And like snooping around her house, getting all up close up shots of Finley sleeping. Mm -hmm. And this is all told from Cecilia's perspective, watching this video where she's like freaking out that like Olivia's going to hurt or yeah, Olivia's going to hurt her. And that she's mm -hmm. really concerned. Finley is not safe, but she also understands that she can't tell the police that like yeah. Olivia is going to hurt Finley. Finley's in danger. She's sneaking into her house because she's scared that everything will get pinned on her. Yeah. Mm, okay. Which the first time you read it, you're like, okay, damn. Wow. Olivia's crazy and Cecilia's the one to trust. Yes. Yeah. And then you learn that they're the same person. They're the same person. And you're like, what? So she's watching a video <laughs> of herself as one of her personalities. Watching it on what? And is it in real time? Also, she steals Finley's hairbrush. Finley looks for it, but they never talk about that again. That does not come back. Yeah, she like moves stuff around in Finley's house. Olivia does. Uh, she like kind of moves her dirty clothes into the hamper and like straightens up the bathroom a little bit and steals Finley's hairbrush. Mm -hmm. And Finley wakes up the next day and realizes like things are different and she can't find her hairbrush and stuff. And like she's just kind of like, huh. That's weird. And like literally never thinks about it ever no, again. <laughs> and they never bring it back. And Cecilia is supposed to be the crazy one that would sneak into people's houses and stuff. But she's doing it as Olivia. And Olivia is supposed to be the golden child. So I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. That's not consistent. Yeah. Supposedly, we're supposed to believe that there was like a big personality switch after their dad's murder that like Cecilia, who was like a party child, is like agoraphobic now. She doesn't leave the house. And that Olivia, because she's like moved away from Nashville and right. gone to California, has like found herself in that and is like very confident and put together and polished and like presents herself in like this way where you're like, you wouldn't think mm -hmm. that the personalities we've been told that they have are the personalities that they have. Or like Olivia have. does not seem like this like meek, no, no social life sort of character. No, it's just... all very confusing and it seems like even cecilia gets confused while she's mm -hmm. playing these two different parts but if she's confused how could they honestly ever expect the reader to not be super confused and i know that's <laughs> kind of the point but looking back on it i wish it made sense it's all designed to be confusing and i guess the the puzzle solving part of my brain yes like if i had written this book mm -hmm. would have laid all of this out like it was this big puzzle and I, it would be way more satisfying for the reader to look back on it and be mm -hmm. like, oh, all these oh, things make sense now. Right. But you don't yeah. have that with this book. You nope. look back on everything. And you're like, oh, no, I'm none of confused. that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is definitely like it detracts for me. It takes does. Away. Me too. I totally agree. All right. Cut to the next morning. Finley's dad stops by with bagels again, trying to guilt trip her into going to her mom's party. Due to mm -hmm. that. Uh, but Finley is like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, kind of blows him off. And mm -hmm. she heads to the maximum security prison to go undercover. And she's trying to find out who has been visiting Charles Holmes. Um, questionable ethics already. We're getting to it. <laughs> Once again, Finley's like wobbly line of ethics of like, she holds some people to this standard of ethics. Mm -hmm. And then she does stuff very casually where you're just like, um, that's not, that's not okay. That's not cool. She commits a felony later. Yeah. Yeah. 
she goes to the prison undercover and she wants to look through the visitor list of, of who's been visiting homes. And she gets an, a name, Alicia Arrington. This person is not an attorney on Holmes's case or a detective. She signs the log as Charles's sister. Yeah. Which, as far as they know, he doesn't have one. Right. It's very sus. So she gets that info. She wants to meet with this so-called preacher that helped Charlie find Jesus and <laughs> decide to recant his confession. Um, but he's not available that day. So she goes to this inside contact named Arlo that they supposedly use a lot when they want to talk to or like get the inside scoop on people in prison. He's like their mm-hmm. inside contact. Their conversation is very cute. I liked reading that chapter. Because he's like, will you check on my mom for me? And she's like, yeah, I will. And it's kind of sweet. Like, they obviously have had interactions before and they've been positive. Um, Plus, she kind of flirts with him. (laughs) Yeah. And as she's leaving the prison, is it actually Sinyard that's waiting for her? Or is it just someone on home? It's someone on the team. Yeah. Like, he sent somebody. Right. And they're like, we're on to you. We see you sneaking in here. Yeah, you literally just came to the prison right and you cannot be talking to our client yeah. without us present because yeah. they think she was in there visiting homes right yeah and she's like no i would never do that i would never i, I would never so moral. talk to your client <laughs> yeah even though she quite literally does that later she does yes and in her mind it really seems like she's trying to be ethical and like a good law-abiding person but then she just... Yeah, because she knows how the law works. And she's like, yeah, no, I would never... I wasn't here to interview your client. Calm down. I was here to get other information. I wouldn't she, do that. She totally just like <laughs> throws all that out the window without even thinking about it, really. She finally goes to be able to meet with Cherry Prescott. And she meets her. She's impeccably dressed, very elegant. And Cherry insists that all of this is rumors and that she never had a sexual relationship with Seth. She was not like sleeping with him to get ahead. And that Lance losing that big client was his own fault. That that client was unhappy with the label for a while Mm -hmm. and just finally decided to walk. And then it was just a coincidence that it was timed with her arrival and that she didn't actually have anything to do with that. She admits that it wasn't Seth that she was sleeping with. It was Lance. That she was sleeping with. So they were having an affair before he was murdered. And when she like met her now husband Elton, she fell in love with him and she wanted to be with him instead. So she tried to break up with Lance and um, this other client that wasn't happy with the music record label anyways, sided with her. And so Lance is actually the one that like terminated with him. That's why he walked and went to another company but he tried to blame it all on her and it's so messed up and yeah she says that um she was dating elton her now husband and she was having an affair with lance at the time and that when all that broke off she went into hiding because she had just found out she was pregnant with elton's son and she's very sure it's elton's son um and i don't think that's ever really brought into question because i think finley like be sure but it's not. Yeah. She claims to be very sure. And and Finley, I think it pretty immediately meets this kid. Oh, she does. You're right. I forgot. And she's like, oh, I guess he looks like his dad. Like, yeah. apparently he looks just like Elton. Yeah. And so there's not really any question. Okay. So she went into hiding because she was pregnant. And that's her 
basically her alibi for saying like I couldn't have killed Lance because I was I had gone into hiding and I'm like I don't know if you know what an alibi <laughs> is because if no one knows where you were it's like the opposite of it <laughs> it's, like, it's like okay well then you literally don't have <laughs> so, right, so you don't sure. have an alibi yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but she Cherry recalls that um, Cecilia's close childhood friend that she used to hang out with and party with all the time was a girl called Bethany Briggs, District Attorney Briggs's daughter. Go figure. So Finley knows this chick. Like, she knows her. She used to work with her dad. Yeah. So Finley's like, oh, shit, I got me a lead. I'm going to go impersonate Still being a worker with the district attorney's office, working for her dad, and go try to talk to her as if I'm trying to, like, give her tips on how to not spill the beans and, like, incriminate herself. And that mm-hmm. is a little messy. That's a little fucked yeah. up. Yeah. Cherry also told Finley that um, Cecilia and Bethany did know Holmes oh, and that they yes. used to hang out and party with him. Right. So that's even more like lies. Lies. Yeah. More lies. So she tries to go to Bethany to get information about Cecilia because she knows Cecilia's lying to her. So maybe if she gets Bethany on her side, then she can learn the truth. You get some really good detective work from Finley in this chapter. Oh, I like sure. these are my favorite chapters. It's very Nancy Drew behavior. Yes. Where she she's trying to get in touch with Bethany. So she stops by her house and she's like talking through the like buzzer with her housekeeper and she doesn't say who she is or anything, but she gets the information out of the housekeeper without even really having to yeah, ask. Yeah. She finds out that she's out wedding dress shopping mm-hmm. and she knows that there's like two big wedding dress shops in town and like she's probably going to be at one of those. So she kind of just goes with the more popular one mm. and the housekeeper's like, oh, yeah, that's where she is. And she's like, oh, OK, thanks. I'll, I'll meet her there. And like this poor housekeeper has no idea. She's just like <laughs> she's given this information to a private investigator. Yeah. Uh, And then she gets to the wedding dress shop and Bethany's in the back, like trying on dresses. And she tells the receptionist like, oh, I have a package for her. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Just go on back. Uh And I'm like, (laughs) she knows exactly what to say to get into these places. And she totally convinces Bethany that she's on her side as well. It's very manipulative. Yeah, she's like, I'm just trying to make sure that your name doesn't get brought up in the wrong places and that this doesn't somehow get pinned on you. Like, that's not what we want. I'm trying to just get the truth straightened out right now. And through this, she gets a lot of information from Bethany. Yes, so much. Bethany admits to being wild with Cecilia when they were teenagers. Um, She does still lie about not knowing Holmes, uh, even though Finley immediately knows that that was a lie and that she does. And then at the very end, right before Finley leaves, she admits to the fact that she was with Cecilia the night of Lance's murder. Dun, dun, dun. Which, because she admits like this is the truth, but it doesn't line up with the actual events of the actual murder when we come to learn them in later in the story. She is not there, right? Olivia pretending to be Cecilia, I think, is who she's with. When you learn about like who killed Lance and everything later yeah. in the story, that all requires one person to mistake somebody else and if she was with like how how could she have been there i don't feel like like when it when they really the big truth is revealed later in the story nobody talks about bethany being there 
She's not there. She is out with Olivia, who is pretending to be Cecilia, I think. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we it's get confusing, there. We'll talk though. about it when we get there. That's what we're saying is this is too confusing for its own good. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so she admits to being with Cecilia, uh, but she says that she won't admit this publicly. Like, I was with Cecilia. Cecilia couldn't have murdered him, but I will not testify because... I will then be a suspect. I'll be involved in this. My dad is the DA. Like, I can't have any of this getting out. Finley leaves with new information. And once again, Jack is unreachable and has canceled all his afternoon appointments. And once again, Finley's like, oh, shit. This could be the time. This could be the time. I'm going to go look for Jack. Yeah, bro is not at his cabin. He's at a motel room that he has indefinitely... Rent it out? What? Yeah, this doesn't make any sense because they keep referring to this hotel, the Drake Hotel, like he lives there. It's the Drake Motel. Yeah, the Drake Motel, not even a hotel. And they act like he lives there. I just, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't it's make any weird, sense to me. isn't it? Like he's supposedly this like high profile lawyer that like doesn't have a house in the city. Right. But he he's only got... has this like cabin and he just lives permanently in a motel. In a motel. Yeah. I don't know. It's never explained <laughs> no. or like addressed in any way. They're just like, yeah, this is where to find him because that's where he would be staying. That's where he would be. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, because she gets there and he's demolishing he's, like doing his shit. motel room. Yeah. And the motel people are like, can you stop him, please? <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, what? Like, yeah. So once again, he's like doing intense physical work to avoid drinking Mm -hmm. and this time has decided to just demolish his motel room like it's his (laughs) to renovate or something i don't it just doesn't make it so weird i don't get it (laughs) why not just give him another house like why not just have him live in a house that she goes to i don't know why it needs to be a hotel like there's not there's no reason given for this it's strange whatever it's weird (laughs) and she learns that he is now trying to stop drinking because he had a conversation with her mom, the judge. He was asking her why Briggs and Lawrence were discussing Finley as far as Derek's murder case. Why would that send him off the handle? I don't know. I guess it's just because it's not really explained. It's just kind of alluded to that, like, because he and the judge used to be quite close, that this contact with her they do not speak to each other for a reason that you never find out right yeah it's never told like why they had a falling out per se and just this contact with her for work has like put him on the brink of falling off the wagon again which is intriguing because like what the hell happened right i guess you'll find out in another book I don't know. I, yeah that's the thing is like it's hard to review this book without having read the other two right. but also, where you do kind of have to take it at its own face value, mm-hmm. and there's so much left unexplained yes. and unanswered, unanswered about these characters. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. In this, he also says that he tracked down Olivia's college roommate, Holly Thompson, who lives in Seattle now, and we know is a made-up... I mean, it's not a made-up person, but it's a made-up story. Yeah, so... Holly Thompson is a real person. Finley's like, okay, well, I'll look into her. I'll contact her and we'll mm-hmm. we'll look into this. Get to know Olivia outside of Nashville. Meanwhile, 
she is going back to her house because she has told Matt that her hairbrush is missing. And Matt, being the sweet, loving, caring friend that he is, is like, I'm going to come change your locks. <laughs> That's not okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. And when she gets there, there's another person on her doorstep. Yep. There's somebody else waiting for her. There's a silver sedan parked outside her house. And it's Eric Hauser, which is the new detective on Derek's murder case. And he just wants to set up an appointment with her to discuss it. Yeah, he's perfectly polite. Like he, Why couldn't he have called her? A, he could have called her, but they really make it seem like this is all to distract Finley from right. the Lagarde case and that this guy's going to be like hounding her. Mm. And he's like very polite it's about nice. the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> he shows up and he's like, look, I'm not just going to like pounce on you about this thing. Like I know this is like a intense thing. I just wanted to kind of introduce myself and set up some sort of appointment with you to where we can talk about the case and go over all these details. She's like, okay, great. They make an appointment. And then right before he leaves, he says, well, do you know that Derek bought this house just two weeks before he met you? And Finley's like, what? No, he had this house for months. He'd been fixing this house up for months when we met. And it was like almost like a bonding thing between them mm -hmm. that he was like fixing up this house that he'd been bought months yeah. ago which and is so she really doesn't want to lie believe. about it's a really weird thing to lie about it's a weird thing for this other guy to mention too why would he care and he drops it like he knows way more about this uh -huh. than he's letting on yeah and he just wants to kind which of like get cool. a feel for her <laughs> no it's not cool yeah so yeah it really shakes her up she doesn't know what to believe you know she doesn't want to believe that Derek would lie to her about something because mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's a weird thing to lie about. Like why bother lying about something yeah. like that? So it makes her ask more questions than she right. really wants mm -hmm. to ask. Kind of consumes her going forward. Right. Yeah. She can't get it out of her brain. So the next day, uh, Olivia calls and claims that she's concerned about her sister and that she wants to meet in person because she's very concerned about Cecilia She's acting erratically and ranting and she tells Finley that Sophia is not safe living in the same home as Cecilia. Right. Which is confusing because the last chapter that you have of them, Olivia is the one in her house being creepy. So what are you supposed to what are you supposed? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what you're, you're supposed to be confused, but yeah, it, it just. But yeah, when you yeah. are. Like in this conversation with Olivia, she's so genuine and like mm -hmm. a put together person and you just want to believe her. Right. She's really worried for her mom's safety, living in the home with her crazy sister. Mm -hmm. So Finley's like, OK, I'll drop by the house and check on them. Like, mm -hmm. sure. Because for whatever reason, you're terrified to go over there. Right. Um, which, <laughs> you refuse. We, which we know is like now we're like, OK, well, it's the same person. Olivia calls. And says, hey, I want to meet in person to talk to you about something. And on her way out the door, Finley, actually, this is important, that Finley notices that she's got her neighbor across the street is like an older woman who's just weirdly standing in the middle of her yard, like staring at Finley in Finley's house, which I really don't like. I'm not. I don't like it either. I have an elderly woman across the street from me that will sit on her porch and watch it's like a thing, I think. <laughs> but like this woman, she's not like just relaxing on her porch. She's like standing yeah. in the middle of her yard, just yeah. like staring. Right. And it's like, that's what true. The fuck? Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> so Finley's like, okay, whatever. She kind of just waves, is like, hey. So she goes, she actually goes to talk to Oh, she does. They Olivia. meet in person. And we're given a timestamp of 7.55 a.m. that Olivia calls her and, and yeah. then she goes to meet with her. And Finley's like, okay, yeah, I'll go by the house. Okay. So by the time she gets to the house. At 10 a.m. Yeah. So two hours. Then suddenly Olivia, who is Cecilia, is already home, like beats Finley there and is inside. And appearing as Cecilia. Like, right. Like she would have to take the nails off. and the She has to change her hair color. They have different color hair. She has to change her hair color, like get her wig situated. She has to take all of her nail polish off of her nails, like totally change her appearance to become Cecilia and beat Finley there. Yeah. It's not realistic. And again, like you said, she has to like actively choose to switch personalities. It just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Uh, But she gets there. Cecilia's home, but she's home alone. And because she's agoraphobic, she's like, I can't answer the door, but I'll unlock it and go to the next room and you can like let yourself in. Finley has a little chat with her. Cecilia tries to be like, you and I aren't so different to Finley. Mm -hmm. She tries to buddy buddy with her she tells her neither of us wants anyone to know everything we think and that's a really weird point to bond on because yeah. i feel like nobody nobody wants does. everyone to know like, yes. everything. <laughs> <Nobody> <laughs> you're right yeah but <laughs> cecilia's like i looked you up i know that these horrible things happened to you horrible things have happened to me too and we're both keeping secrets and i'm kind of like how would you know that about her Like, and why are you trying to bond about it? It's forced. And it's supposed to feel forced. Like, Finley's like, okay, sure, I guess. We're alike, whatever. Like, she doesn't really take it seriously, but it it feels forced. And you're just like, okay. (laughs) And then Cecilia says, you have no idea what's coming. And it's like, Cecilia, if you're trying to, like, protect yourself, why are you being weird like that? (laughs) It's the twin thing that makes consistently (laughs) makes no sense. So Finley leaves and she's sitting in her car thinking about this and she gets a photo. She gets texted a photo of Alicia Arrington, like entering the prison to talk to Holmes. Not the best photo. Right. It's blurry. She can't see. It's not like a direct shot of her face. It's kind of like a profile shot. She, She can't really tell who this person is. But, like, something is familiar about this appearance, but she doesn't, like, recognize this person. This is the part where I'm just like, how do you, how do they know? Because she's sitting in her car. Yeah. And she gets a text from the prison of Alicia Arrington. And then as soon as that happens, one of Holmes's people is standing outside her car and says, Charlie said to tell you you're getting warmer. And it's like, that how? has to be about like getting the Alicia Arrington information. Yeah. But how would It can't Charlie... be about her just like paying a visit to the Lagards. No. Right. Because they're her It clients. has to be about that. But like, it's like immediately after. So yeah. I'm like, there's no way they would know that. It's, it's just, yes. she's just sitting there looking at her phone. Physically impossible. Yes. Even if <sighs> she had her phone fucking tapped, there's no way that he would be able to tell one of his fathers to go find her and tell her that. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> makes no sense you're right you're right (laughs) okay so she goes home she's headed back to her house and she calls a friend at the county clerk's office to look into this situation with Derek having bought the house later than he said and she finds that 
the guy was right. He did. He bought it months before they, I'm sorry, weeks before they had met, not months. And she gets the name of the previous owner, Ted Walker. So she calls him and he confirms it. And basically he says that Derek just showed up and like offered him enough money where he couldn't say no to buy the house, which is yeah, weird. And weirdly insistent on buying this house. Yeah. Um, that was like not fixed up. It was in bad shape. And he's like, I was going to fix it up and sell it and like flip it. But this guy shows up and like offered me way more money than I would probably have been able to flip it for. So I just was like, yeah, sure. Take it, I guess. Like, <laughs> Which is super weird. It's very weird. After she learns this, though, she gets a message um, because she's got an inside contact within the prison. And she learns that the preacher, the guy that helped Charles Holmes find Jesus, had a visitor today. And that visitor was none other than Sophia Lagarde. Intrigue. Which is kind of stupid of her today. Yeah, it's real <laughs> dumb. So Finley goes to get Jack and they're like, okay, we got to go talk to the preacher. We have to figure out what the hell's going on. They go meet with him and he tells them he called Sophia up and told her to come see him because he had a message to her from the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Which if somebody guy... called... Why would you go? No, I know. And this guy isn't even really a preacher. He's just like some dude that got super into the like, I think he said that he murdered three people and he's a lifer in this jail. And then he just got super into the Bible and he's trying to like push it on other people. It's so shit. <sighs> yeah. He never elaborated on like his story is no. never really elaborated on. No. But you just have to take it at face value that like he's just become like a religious nut in prison. And he tells her that. He has a message from the Lord and that she needs to confess her sins before it's too late and that the wrath is coming very soon. Which, what? <laughs> like, <It's, laughs> if somebody, I don't. <sighs> the reason that this is in here supposedly is because Finley and Jack think that Sophia is now guilty because she gave into this. Like, she has something to hide. However, that makes no sense once you learn what actually happened. And this preacher, like, is right somehow. But how would that even, how would he know? I he has assume no... Holmes told him. And then Holmes told him to, like, cryptically warn Sophia. But, okay, spoilers, Sophia dies. How would Holmes know that she's going to die? He he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't know. I mean, yeah, like it, the, this is what we're saying. We're like things logistically in this book just don't make a lot of sense because, yeah, they call her. They threaten her. Uh huh. And she dies. But ha it has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with them. It's not something that they have orchestrated. Her no. death. So why? I <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like oh, my rating no. is going down the longer we talk about I it. I know, the more we talk about it. It was already not great, but... Ugh. Oh. Okay, so after they meet with him, she goes back home. The lady across the street, the old lady, is staring at her again. And this part is, is kind of sweet. Like, she realizes that the night of Derek's murder, this is the lady that had called the cops and mm -hmm. potentially saved her life. And yeah. she realizes that she's never actually thanked her or even talked to her. Yeah, which is rough. It's kind of sad. But like I get, I get it because 
going through that like obviously so much other crap is on your mind Mm -hmm. so you're just not even like it's not even on your radar and it's possible like she never even knew who called the cops right yeah like she she could not have that information Mm -hmm. but yeah so she goes to talk to her this is an unnerving conversation it is it's weird isn't it she's recalling when Derek first moved into the house she says you know yeah he bought the house and moved in and she says something along the lines of like he must have done something real big in the backyard and Finley's like what what do you mean what does that mean she's like uh basically for like the first two weeks that he owned the house until you showed up he was in the backyard working every single night all through the night what the fuck (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) That's so unnerving. And I do not like it at all. Yeah. I don't care for this one bit. I don't either. Finley doesn't either. Finley's like, what What the the fuck does that mean? Yeah. She's already questioning this whole situation with Derek in the house. And then to find out that, like, he spent all his time that he had alone with the house before he brought Mm. Finley there doing shit in the backyard weird what is he doing and i feel like we could just go ahead and talk about it later finley can't stop thinking about this so she goes and she tries to dig up parts in the yard that maybe could have something like they're softer ground or there's a little mound or something and all she finds are dog bones like someone has buried a pet that's it that's the only explanation you get my reaction to that is finley look under the dog bones my dear have you never heard of that before? Have you never heard that like oh my God, I the people haven't. say like if you if you ever had to bury a body that you should bury an animal body over the top so of it. So if they dig down, they find the animal body and they're like, okay. And then they don't keep digging underneath it. It like oh. hides the body. And also like the sniffer dogs will sniff out like the scent of decay. Oh. And when they dig it up, they're like, oh, it's just an animal body. So when she <gasps> does this, I'm like, Finley. Keep digging. What are you doing? There's something under there. <laughs> I have never there is something heard that. There's something under this dock. That's so smart, oh. though. And I feel like she should know as someone that is around crime all the time. Huh. I found that that whole chapter, I was just like, Finley, you got to keep going. <laughs> and <laughs> instead, she, she stops and it never comes back in this book. That's it. That's basically the end of it. I'm sure it will come up. Like this was too big of a pointedly addressed thing. Whatever he was doing in the backyard, we don't know, but like it will clearly come up later. Like if it doesn't, this is just bad bad writing. That would be super (laughs) weird. So like it has to be relevant, but it's very unnerving and puts a whole new light on Derek and this house and his whole motivation Mm -hmm. for everything that happened there. So Yeah. yeah. Not relevant to that, later that day, she gets a call from a contact of hers who has tracked down three Alicia Arringtons, the woman that has been visiting Charles Holmes in prison, pretending to be his sister. So she goes to talk to one of these Alicia Arringtons that she's narrowed it down to. And this is also kind of a nothing chapter. She just gets some intel, and that's kind of it. Like, it's... This Alicia Arrington had her identity stolen. She has nothing to do with this at all. But like somebody is pretending to be her and visiting Charles Holmes, which is what the real intrigue is. And then as she's leaving, she gets a call from Holly Thompson, who, if you'll remember, was Olivia's college roommate, supposedly. But this Holly Thompson is like, no, I never met an Olivia Lagarde. Uh, I, she even sends her a picture of her roommate and she's like, this is not her. 
I don't know what you're talking about. Finley's like, okay, well, maybe she's thinking like, okay, well, maybe Olivia for some reason was going by a different name. Because it's real convenient that Holly's roommate had no family. Like both of her parents were dead. And so she never like talked about her family really at all, which is so it kind of makes you think that like maybe Olivia was like using an alias or something. And then she's like, no, my roommate died sophomore year in a car accident. So <laughs> somebody's lying. Everyone's lying. That's the gist Everyone. of this book. Yeah. <laughs> Finley asks what her major was. And this mystery roommate, Anna, had the same major that Olivia had, which mm-hmm. was advertising. So there's a lot of parallels, but it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And like, we never talk about this again, as far as like, what actually did happen with mm. this. Obviously, like, Olivia didn't it actually, like, it's... No, she never went. But did she, though? Like, was this all part of the farce? Like, did Cecilia pretend to be Olivia for a while, go move out to California, oh my fake a death so that there was evidence of, like, her being out there? No, because it was a different picture. Like, it, the roommate wasn't her. Somebody else. I think it's more like the mom finds this person that is like really easy to fake having the same life for her daughter. Oh, yeah. And you think that they just used that person's identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As like the bone structure of the life Olivia supposedly was having in California. Oh, okay. So that's ruled out basically. Finley's just like, okay, well, there's got to be some either some sort of clerical error or somebody is straight up lying about this. Right. Which can you guess which one it is? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cut to another Olivia chapter. Yeah, she is pounding on the door of her family home. The same family home that she refuses to go to, Uh has no interest in being at. Uh And she is demanding that Cecilia let her in. Cecilia refuses to, and Olivia gets mad and leaves. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I swear it's just in there to confuse the reader and make them think there's two of them because they're talking to each other. To give, like, the benefit of the doubt here, what's happening? Because they're supposedly on each side of the door Uh having a conversation with each other. Uh Olivia is demanding to be let in, and Cecilia is refusing to open the door and let her in. And I'm like, I just don't understand how, even if you have a personality disorder, how you're in real time having a conversation with yourself Mm -hmm. on opposite sides of a door. And then Mm -hmm. like you're leaving dressed as Olivia. Like it just doesn't, (laughs) I can't make sense of it. (laughs) I, I'm not going to pretend like we're experts on this disorder or anything, honestly. No, not at all. But it just doesn't seem like that's how it would work what this all feels like to me and from what i've read about personality disorders like this is that what is shown and represented in media is like not really at all how it works Mm -hmm. and how it functions this just all feels like a big trope Mm -hmm. of like split personality disorders that you're like you can choose when to switch back any research on it Yeah, like, I just, I don't love that it is, like, misrepresenting this disorder that a lot of people live with every day. It's, I don't know. I don't I I agree. And then at the end of it, Olivia is thinking to herself that she wants to smell Finley's skin. And it's just, why did they add that in there? 
I don't know. She she decides when she leaves the mansion, she decides she wants to drive by Finley's house. So she like takes a roundabout way to get there and like avoids traffic cameras and like parks outside of Finley's house and is just thinking to herself how she wants to like get to know Finley more and get closer to Finley and smell her skin. Yeah. And it's so just like the fuck? Why? It doesn't make any sense. And it's so strange. Mm-hmm. And this once again never like brought up again or like comes like this aspect of her relationship to finley olivia's relationship to finley yeah olivia specifically which why is it just there to add a level of like suspense suspense? yeah i'm just like (laughs) this whole book is very unsatisfying stuff like that i don't like it if it comes back into play with the story then i do but it doesn't so i don't if you're going to add in these little things, add in things that we can connect the dots to after we know the big twist mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that makes so much more sense right. now. But like every time you get one of these, it makes less and less sense uh-huh. and it pokes more and more holes. Yep. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. All right. Next day. That's when she digs up the dog bones. So we'll skip over that because we talked about it. This is the day that she's going to her mother's 60th birthday party. Big birthday, big party. I'm going to be real with you. This chapter doesn't really mean a whole lot in the context of the story. No, it just it like fleshes out that relationship with Finley and her family and and Matt and her family because Matt goes to this party as well. And so you you see Matt's interaction with her parents and stuff as Mm -hmm. well. And it's very clear that the judge wishes Finley and Matt were together Mm -hmm. and that, that she had already or always sort of planned on that being mm-hmm. the case. Like yeah. Finley's pretty sure she's always wanted them to be together. Which is probably part of the reason Finley is not with Matt. It's, I'm sure, a factor. It's just an uncomfortable chapter. Finley is miserable at this party. Her mom is rude and cold to her. And she and Matt basically like say their hellos to people and then like go up to Finley's old bedroom to like get away from everybody and just kind of hang out. They detach, talk about things that are going on with her. But then she and Matt decide to head back downstairs and like I think they're like headed down the stairs and she sees a photo on the wall because like her mom's in a bunch of like community like committees like she's probably on a lot of like local boards and stuff like that. And she there's a photo of one of them and it's her mom and they're it's not just like they're in the photo together but they are in the photo together with like linked arms next to each other Mm -hmm. like clearly like there's some sort of like relationship Mm -hmm. but it's it's finley's mom and sophia lagarde Mm -hmm. and finley's like the fuck yeah (laughs) which again hardly comes back to play finley confronts her mom and the judge is just like oh yeah i guess we were on a few committees together but like it wasn't ever that close of a relationship that was it. it They make it out to be like this big reveal, something that's Mm -hmm. like going to change the face of the case. Oh, my God. Our mom is involved. (gasps) Nope. No. 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 Not relevant at all. Okay. So it's it's a little bit of a refreshing chapter. Yeah. A little bit, but like not even really that. (sighs) No. Because it's pretty quickly rolled out. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So she gets a call from Jack, who is like in a panic, and he says, get to the Lagarde house now. So that's what she does. She goes over to the Lagarde mansion, which I now just realized that 
sometimes they call it the Lagarde residence and sometimes they call it the Lagarde mansion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're right There's no consistency no with these headings i'm telling you <laughs> and when she gets there olivia is outside because that's what happens to finley when she arrives somewhere um and finley immediately confronts her about her roommate info not matching olivia further convolutes the whole thing and says like i don't know who's wrong but my roommate's name was tanya not Holly, and I don't know this Anna. So, like, there's, like, a weird... She, she like, denies it. Yeah. She's like, something weird's going on. You got misinformation. Like, my roommate's name was Tanya. Which is weird that she lied really fast and covered up that story, but also that she's even talking to Finley about something other than the fact that her mom is dead upstairs. I... Yeah. So, Finley does initiate this confrontation. Like Finley walks up and immediately is like, yo, what the fuck with your roommate? But like in this situation, if you were Olivia, you would be like, that can wait. We need to go inside because my mom is dead upstairs (laughs) with a knife in her chest. (laughs) But yeah, they like have a whole conversation outside on the front porch and then they go inside. Yeah. And Jack is in there and is like, Sophia's dead. And, you know, (sighs) Finley rightly is like, fuck. (laughs) The whole situation is bad because it's just the three of them there. It's Jack, Olivia, and Finley. Cecilia is missing. She's gone. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows where she is. Go figure. And no one has called the police. Nope. Nope. No one has called the police yet. Why were they waiting for Finley to get there? Like, Finley's not even their lawyer. No, I don't know. Why? Like, I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like, it seems like Jack should have immediately yes. called the police. Like, I agree. It's in the best interest of his clients. To call the police immediately. I guess he's worried about himself and how that looks on him. But like, bro, it'll look less bad if you just call the police. And Olivia says that when she found her, she saw that there was a knife sticking out of her. So she assumed she was dead. She didn't even go in the room. She didn't even go check. She saw this from the doorway. Didn't even like enter the room to check on her to see if like maybe she's alive still and I can call an ambulance or anything. She's like, oh, she's dead. I need to call Jack. I need to call my lawyer. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is so like, what the fuck are you talking about? She said, like, it's she says so this so weird. coldly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so strange. Yeah. Olivia is convinced that Cecilia has done it. murdered Sophia, that she killed their mom. And she believes that the whole agoraphobia act is an act by mm-hmm. Cecilia and that she is using it to manipulate their mom basically like control why would that mean that she murdered her i don't know and finley is like fuck so she takes olivia back to her hotel she goes home and i guess they called the police they called the police after they've had that conversation yeah conversation so she takes olivia home back to her hotel you're removing her from the crime scene No. And just letting her go. Like, leaving nobody with her. The police would be furious. Oh, yeah. Like, it's this is like a major, like, what are you doing? You're all of a sudden not good at your job anymore. (laughs) 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 Bugs me so much. Like, Finley is so smart and, like, savvy. And then she's just not. And she's doing stuff like this where I'm like, what is is your reasoning for taking Olivia yes. out of this situation. Yeah. And then leaving her alone. It's ridiculous. So. 
When she gets home, guess what? The judge, her mom, is waiting for her <laughs> outside her house. <laughs> and this is when Finley confronts her mom about being on the committee with Sophia. And she's like, look, Sophia's dead. Tell me what the fuck was up with you two. And her mom's like, yeah, we served on some committees together. Yeah. And her mom basically is there to be like, y'all are in over your heads. And that's it. No further questions. No further information. It was weird. Sure. So Finley goes back to the Lagarde house. I think this is interesting. So she knows a police officer there. And that's how she gets the information that she wants out of him. And they also have like a flirty thing. And it was weird to me when I was reading it through, I don't see Finley as being very attractive in my mind. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that she's so broken inside and she doesn't really take care of herself. Right. She constantly talks about how she like doesn't put any effort into her appearance anymore. And she just like throws her hair up in a ponytail and walks out the door right. where she used to be this really put together, mm-hmm. well-dressed lawyer and like she's just really not making an effort anymore so yeah and all of these even guys, if she is attractive she's like right looking rough. yes but they all are super into her and like flirting with her and like you know they seem into her and i it's strange to me that they are i mean even if she is attractive you're right i don't know it's just not how i pictured it it's not how i pictured it and to me it just feels like she needs to get this information. Let's yes. conveniently give her this information. Yes, let's conveniently have this police officer that knows her, that likes her, be there. Just, like, tell her everything. With no one else there. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> You're right. It feels like a plot convenience more than anything else. So she gets information from him. There was not a lot of blood on the body, which, if you've been stabbed to death, there would, there would be, be some blood on the body. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, they don't think that the knife is what killed her. So why did someone stab her? Okay, what did kill her and why stab her afterwards to pretend that it was a knife that did it? I mean, that's a pretty big lead that she has just gotten. So she's like, Mm -hmm. okay, I've gotten enough. Before I get caught, I'm going to go. This is nightmare material. Um, Yeah, (laughs) in my notes, (laughs) in my notes, I said this is literally a nightmare of mine that someone (laughs) is in the backseat of my car and I don't Uh know it uh and to the point where it's kind of just like a a regular habit of mine like if I get in my car by myself Mm -hmm. I turn around and look in the Mm -hmm. backseat and then go about my business like it's not even like I consciously think like check the backseat for a person it's just like part of my like actions when I get into the car is to turn around and look in the backseat and so yeah so Finley drives all the way home and then someone from the backseat says I need your help (laughs) nope no thank you yes I hate it so much I hate it too I hate it I hate it I hate it Finley is not phased really I mean she's a little surprised and startled but like Way less phase than I would have stop had a little mini panic attack <laughs> yeah. and like have to calm down before having a conversation. And Finley's yeah. just like, oh, okay, let's talk. Yeah, while you're here. <laughs> so it's Cecilia. Cecilia is okay, which <clears throat> uh-huh. 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 <laughs> Finley. Finley t- Finley took Olivia to her hotel, uh-huh. which is Cecilia. Yeah. They're the same person. And then she had to get back to 
her parents' house, the Lagarde Mansion, which is mm-hmm. now swarmed with police, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. dress as Cecilia. And then while Finley was inside talking to the police, she sneaks out of the house, gets into the backseat of Finley's car. Uh-huh. Like the logistics of all of that makes zero sense. They don't make any sense. You're right. You're totally right. I want it to make sense. It just doesn't. Yeah. It just doesn't and make Cecilia sense. says that this whole time, the whole time after finding her mom dead, she's been hiding in a secret attic room. Because the police and everybody supposedly has like searched the grounds and searched yeah. the house for anybody and she is missing. So she had to be hiding. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to make it work, but I can't but it make doesn't. it work. The fact is that it doesn't work. And I don't think we're just too stupid to figure it out. I think it just doesn't work. It's one of those things that like, I guess, I guess it's possible, but it just realistically. Is it probable? Would not. Yeah, no, it would it just wouldn't work. So Cecilia claims she found her mom dead, panicked and went and hid because she feared Olivia did it and that Olivia would kill her. coming to kill her. Right. Yeah. And she claims that Bethany Briggs is lying about how they used to party together and how they used to know Holmes. Mm -hmm. And Bethany was the one who was actually obsessed with Holmes Mm -hmm. and not Cecilia. It is at this point in the book that I was over it. I was over everyone lying and I was over not having answers like to the point where you didn't know if literally any information that you had gotten thus far is accurate. And that bothered me. Like it was getting really frustrating that I'm like, does any of this mean anything? Am I just reading these like aha moments for no reason? Cause they're not true. Because it seems like that was the focus of this book. Whereas a lot of murder mysteries, the, the fun of it is knowing the facts and trying to figure it out mm-hmm. as you're reading. Mm-hmm. And then in this book, it's just like people are constantly like, I didn't know him. Oh, yeah, I knew him. Oh, yeah, I knew him, but I wasn't obsessed with him. Oh, yeah, I knew him, but I was in a relationship with him. Yeah. Oh, I knew him, but I was pregnant with his kid. Yeah, like, right. just like, <laughs> yes. Nobody's telling the truth about anything. And it's very frustrating. And it's the same. What's frustrating is it's like the same lie over and over and over again but just like changed a little bit bit or it's just like, it's not even like inventive or different Mm -hmm. or fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was, (laughs) I was like, okay, I need the big reveal now because I'm done. (laughs) So she says, Bethany's lying. Bethany was really close with Holmes. Finley's like, okay, I'm going to go in the kitchen and call Jack and explain what's going on, that you're here and that you're not missing and that you're okay. And when she comes back, Cecilia's gone. Go fucking figure. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, and Finley's like, I kind of expected it. And I'm like, then why did you leave her alone? Twice. It's the second time she's left one of the twins alone. Yeah. And then the second time that they've gone missing today. Great. Great. The next chapter, chapter Cecilia. Cecilia chapter, which we already know we don't like. <laughs> yeah. And this one in particular, once again, makes zero sense. Cecilia is being actively questioned by Olivia about what all Cecilia told Finley. Cecilia's like, I told her the truth that you killed Sophia. They talk to each other about like, okay, well, what what has to happen now? And come to the conclusion that like one of them has to die because Olivia wants to be the only twin. Yeah. And Olivia's like, would you rather it be you that survives? And Cecilia's like, yeah. Duh. I guess this chapter is kind of interesting because if you do think about it like she's fighting with herself, then she's telling herself 
I need to go back to just being one person. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool if you think about it. But again, not how it works. She's telling herself, yeah, like I need to kill Olivia or I need to kill Cecilia because, yeah, she needs mm-hmm. to settle into one personality. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, it, it, like we said, at this point, it's just tedious. Cut to the next day. Jack and Finley have been summoned to a meeting at the DA's office, the district attorney's office, to meet with Siniard, who's representing Holmes, and their defense team, as well as Briggs, the district attorney. They're basically all like, screw you, no screw you, no screw you, no screw you. It's a really fruitless meeting. It Like, nothing happens. Yeah, they're all just <laughs> mad at each other, and they're like, why is Holmes doing this why are your clients missing why is another person dead why didn't you call the police when you found a dead body yeah right maybe don't do that and jack is just like we don't deserve this and they storm out it's It's stupid annoying (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh okay the rest of this chapter though is where i'm like finley you actually are not ethical at all okay she poses as a nurse because they find out that holmes has a doctor's appointment later that day and that one of the nurses on the team called in sick so Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for finley to pretend to be a nurse Mm -hmm. and sneak into this doctor's appointment that holmes has Mm -hmm. and talk talk to him which so this is unethical on so many levels that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah i looked it up it is a felony to impersonate a medical personnel person she's literally committing a crime several (laughs) crimes because also she's not supposed to be talking in contact with him without his attorney present and she knows that because she's an attorney (laughs) and it's like finley god damn she's talked about how upstanding she is and how she doesn't want to break any laws by getting to the truth. And then she flat out does it. And she doesn't even have a thought in her head that is like, I'm breaking laws. Yeah, she has no misgivings about doing this whatsoever. And that's the that is the part that I take issue with. If she acknowledged that this was like really unethical and problematic and wrong, and then was like, okay with doing it in pursuit of the truth Mm -hmm. but she doesn't even have that inner monologue she just tunnel vision does this without even questioning it at all and it's right so inconsistent with her character it is up until this point i totally agree and to be honest she doesn't get a whole lot of out of this either yeah she talks with holmes he recognizes her and recognizes Mm -hmm. that she's not a nurse and that she's in disguise and so the doctor steps out for a second he said he asks her what she'll do when it's her turn to die. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't know. What would you do? And he says, paradise. I think I'll go to paradise. And she's like, OK, that's clearly like he's like heavily hinting at something that I don't know yet. Right. So yeah. That's all she gets out of mm-hmm. this. That's all yeah, she gets for committing a huge crime, which, to be honest, if she had given herself more time to work on this case, she would have come to that conclusion without him. So it turns out to be a bar that he frequented a lot. She would have figured that out. She could have come across this so in so many ways. Yeah. yeah. Which makes it more frustrating that she it does. For sure. went against her own character to get this information. But uh, Matt calls her on her way home and confirms what we suspected in that it was Sophia was not stabbed to death. Mm-hmm. She died from a prescription sedative overdose. What the fuck? <laughs> she... 
Okay. At the end of the book, she's talking to... Let me look at my notes on this because it is literally so confusing. So her mom, Sophia, killed herself. She took supposedly took them herself, these pills, in front of Cecilia, who was pretending to be Olivia at the time. And she's talking to Olivia as if she's Olivia and saying that she couldn't live with herself if Cecilia was lying about Olivia having killed her husband because Cecilia thinks Olivia killed him. Olivia thinks that her mom, Sophia, believes Cecilia. And therefore, <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and therefore, <laughs> this is just the most confusing <laughs> sentence I've ever heard. Sophia thinks that Olivia did it. And so she's talking to Olivia being like, I can't live with myself if Cecilia is actually lying and you didn't do it. And then she says to Olivia, just let me die if you don't believe me. And then she takes these pills and Olivia watches her die. But it's really Cecilia and Sophia knows that it's Cecilia. I'm so confused by that. Why did she kill herself? I don't know. It's like a a way to kill Sophia off to add intrigue to this mystery. But it's weak sauce. It means nothing. It's not backed up later by any like meaty meaning or anything like it's just i i literally don't understand her her crazy (laughs) she's looking at her crazy daughter saying that she doesn't believe the other split personality of her crazy daughter and that's why she commits suicide no no it doesn't make it makes no sense no it's very frustrating that's that's what we're saying like the end of this book so much stuff is revealed all in one chapter. Yeah. None of it is like ironed out. No. In any way after it's all revealed. And it's so frustrating. When you go back to it, it makes no sense. Yeah. When you as a reader are like, okay, well, they didn't iron it out for me. So let me go back and like read that part again from earlier. And you go back and read it and you're like, no, it makes even less sense now than it did before. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, And from the twins' perspective, Cecilia is the one that stabs her after she's already dead because she wants to pin it on Olivia by making the murders seem similar between her parents. Right, because Lance was stabbed to death. So she wants it to come back to Olivia. You, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, I hate it. (laughs) I don't like Me it. too. I'm actively going to dislike it more and more. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Finley pays a visit to Detective Montrose again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does believe that one or both of the twins would be capable of murder, but yeah. he says he doesn't think it would be like a calculated murder. He thinks it would be a reactive murder, impulsive. Yeah. And he says that apparently the same security system that was in place five years ago is still the one being used today. And for whatever reason, they have not changed the code Just to the security system. The stupidest thing I've ever Even heard. though someone was literally murdered yeah, in their house. In the house. Mm-hmm. They haven't changed the code. And so he gives Finley a list mm-hmm. of everybody he came across back then that had access to the code. Right. And he also sheds light on the word paradise for Finley. And says that it is a back alley joint, so a bar that has regular people that go to it. So she's like, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to find out more information about this bar. And on her way out... (laughs) I'll bring this up every time because it annoys me every time. (laughs) 
she goes out to her car and there's a dude waiting there with a sign that says hot. She's not even at paradise yet. And he has no way of knowing what she just talked about with Richard inside. Uh huh. I just don't. You're right. I hate it mm. so much. I hate it so much. Uh, so she gets to the paradise <laughs> and she talks to the the owner and he's like, yeah, I mean, Holmes used to come here two to three times a week. He was a regular. He had a little group of like fangirls that were hanging around him all the time. And Cecilia and Bethany Briggs were both part of that Mm -hmm. group of girls. They were both here all the time with him. Yep. And he says that there was one girl that was really like close with him and connected with him and there all the time. And he gives Finley a description of her. And on the way out, she sees someone matching this description that is all buddy buddy with Charles Holmes um, in like a photo booth picture like series and it mm-hmm. is cherry cherry prescott england cherry's back again she's back this is another one of those moments that's supposed to be like a huge reveal which i guess this one is like i do like a big this reveal. specific storyline i think this one pays off this one does pay off for sure so finley immediately goes to confront cherry about this she takes the photo with her confronts cherry and she's like i was an idiot i was young i told Lance Lagarde that his daughters were hanging around Holmes and Cecilia hated me after that. Mm -hmm. She basically is like, I don't have any further information. Yeah, she doesn't let her know anything else, which is pretty annoying because she knows a lot more. (laughs) She knows a lot more. Yeah, but that's all like she gets at this point. And then as Mm -hmm. Finley is leaving, she gets a call from Jack or she calls Jack and she's like, okay, Let's go meet up with Olivia again. We actually know where she is. Cecilia's MIA, but we know where Olivia is because we left her at the hotel. We need more information because everyone is full of shit. They get there and she's not there, obviously. She's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Finley like snoops a little bit in her hotel room because housekeeping's in there cleaning the room when they get there. And all she really finds is like a pair of muddy sneakers. uh, And she can't remember what shoes Cecilia was wearing when she was like hiding in the backseat of her car and stuff like that. So she doesn't really learn anything from this hotel room snoop. Right. She gets home and what do you know? Somebody's waiting for her on her porch. Somebody's there. What? (laughs) Oh, what a surprise. I never have people waiting for me when I get home. Oh my gosh. This time it's Olivia. Finley insists Olivia tells her the truth and says it could easily have been Olivia pretending to be Cecilia who was out partying with Holmes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Finley's like, basically like, I need you to promise me or tell me like, that was not the case. Right. That it really was it Cecilia. Was. And Olivia owns up to doing it one time. She's like, yeah, Cecilia stayed home one time and I went out mm-hmm. and partied with Holmes kind of out of curiosity, right. but it was just a one-time thing. Yeah. And I believe that this is the night that her dad was murdered. But because it's Cecilia pretending to be Olivia, she doesn't know that. Right. I think. <laughs> I think. I don't I don't really know. Anyways. And so now Finley is like, okay, Bethany Briggs has a lot more to do with this than we previously thought because we're circling back to the people that would hang out with Holmes back to in, in the day. Over and over again. Mm-hmm. And if we recall, Cecilia had said that Bethany was the one that was obsessed with him. So she tracks her down. To this fancy bar where Bethany is out with her fiance. And I think they like meet eyes across the bar. And Bethany's like, right. 
Man. Finley's like pointedly staring yes. at her. <laughs> right. So Finley just gets up and walks to the bathroom because yeah. she knows Bethany's going to be like, oh, shit, yeah. and follow her. So she confronts her in the bathroom and we get a big juicy. Mm-hmm. This is this is a juicy reveal here. Yeah, it is. Bethany is really frightened to know that Cecilia is missing. Mm-hmm. And she confesses that. She was the one who was in love with Charles Holmes. Bethany was in love with Charles Holmes and that she actually ended up pregnant with his kid at one point. Yeah. And that Cecilia helped her cover up the pregnancy, helped her get an abortion and Holmes never knew to their knowledge. Mm -hmm. And she like kind of kept hanging around Holmes for a little longer after the pregnancy and then kind of stopped to make sure that he wasn't suspicious. Mm -hmm. And then she tells her that she knows that Cecilia wanted to hire Holmes for a job and that the next day was the day that their dad was killed. So Finley is like, oh shit, did she try to hire him to kill her dad? And Bethany... Is like Bethany says, nope. no, it all went wrong the day that their dad died because Cecilia wanted him to murder Olivia. Yeah. Okay. So they <laughs> hated each other, or at least Cecilia hated Olivia so much so that she wanted Holmes to kill her. And instead, her dad ended up dead. Big reveal there. We cut to the next chapter which is an olivia chapter yeah uh, it's like eleven thirty at night <laughs> we love we love these don't we we, love we always them. give them such glowing reviews um, <laughs> olivia is sneaking around the grounds of her house I her family mansion hate it. she has forced cecilia into the gardening shed and trapped her in the gardening shed I hate it. she's sneaking her way across the grounds to the shed and thinking about the past and stuff like that and then she gets to the shed and cecilia is gone of course she's gone because you're her and you can't be in the shed and out of the shed at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she finds a message <laughs> spelled out in mulch on the floor that says you are dead. I hate it. I hate everything about this because they're <laughs> the same person. So you have to believe that she went to the shed. She thinks that she's Cecilia. She spelled out on the floor. You are dead in this mulch. She goes back out. She goes back to the house. She's now Olivia. Olivia's having like legitimate thoughts about her time in California. She comes back out to the shed to find the messes that she left for herself. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. She's like deluded herself into thinking she actually spent any time in California. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. Because she didn't. It's all a farce. Like that was all made up. How much time could have been saved from her just having this conversation or like thought process with herself in her head? She actually went through the motions of spelling out in mulch something on the ground and then walking away from it and coming back to it as somebody else. And if you're thinking about like the logistics, if she is in Cecilia's psyche and she thinks she's Cecilia, Cecilia thinks that Olivia is forcing her, physically forcing her yes. into the gardening shed. And I'm like... She thinks that she was going to be murdered. Are you just walking into the gardening shed? I guess so. Yeah. I, I don't... <laughs> and then you, you think that you're going to be murdered, but then you turn it around in your mind and you're like, no, I'm going to kill you. And so then, then she writes, you are dead. And then Olivia finds it and thinks that she's going to be murdered. 
when I started reading this book and it was revealed that there was twins and I was like, oh, there's going to be some twin shenanigans. If only I knew. If only I knew. Because good Lord. It's a lot. It's a lot. We have had way more to talk about this book than I thought we would. (laughs) So much more. It's so it's such a it's so convoluted. It is. Yes. Finley is getting ready in her home the next day. Uh, Two detectives stop by her house, Detective Gordon Barry and Bob Tanner. And ask her to come downtown with them for questioning because Cherry Inglewood is missing now. And Finley was the last person besides her husband and kid who has seen her Can there alive. be a missing person if 24 hours have not gone by and it's an adult? The 24 hours thing is a myth. The updated information that I've heard is like if you have an adult person who you don't have any realistic reasons why they would just like not be where they should be that you should like report it as a potential missing persons and like worst case scenario, you find them and they're fine. That's true. I guess I I have heard stories where the police are like, she's an adult. It's probably fine. And they like, I mean, yeah, that certainly happens as far as like, whether you get taken seriously or not. I don't know. But like if Kendall was just like gone one day, like I would report that immediately. Right. There's no way I'm waiting 24 hours. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all work from home. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, you're right. Okay. And supposedly she's just like a housewife. So it's yeah, not like she right. has like a career she would be doing or like. Yeah. Finley confesses to them. She's like, look, I don't have any information for you about Cherry. Mm-hmm. I don't have any reason to believe that my conversation would with her would cause her to like go on the run or go yeah. missing or like cause someone to come get her. In fact. But like, I really don't know anything because all of my clients are either dead or missing. <laughs> Which is just, it's so embarrassing from the like perspective of like, you're supposed to be like representing these people. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So like she gets a ride home from Eric Hauser, the guy who's on her husband's murder case. And, you know, they talk about Derek's past and him buying the house and stuff. And honestly, nothing really comes of that. And then when she gets home, she calls and tells Jack that she's going to Francisco, Alabama. I forget how she learns this information that she needs to go there, but that is where Charlie Holmes is from. Yeah, I think she had just like looked into Holmes's past um, and just gotten that information at some point in the investigation, like just typical background information about where he's from and what what his past was like. So she decides like, I'm going to start at the source going back to his hometown. Everyone else is missing. I might as well go follow this other lead. (laughs) I don't have anything else to do. (laughs) So she drives to Alabama and I think she gets this information from somebody at a restaurant Mm -hmm. because it's a really small town is accurate. And she talks to somebody at a restaurant and they're like, Oh yeah. The couple that live next door to the Holmes family um, is still like living in the same house next door. You can go talk to them if you want more information. And so she goes and talks to them. And are we told earlier in the story that Holmes's parents were murdered? I don't think so. A lot of what happens next is like out of nowhere. It's one of those things that it's so much information coming at you all at once where I'm like, did they mention... That Holmes's parents, because you would think like, yeah, they would talk about. I don't remember that how he confessed to a murder, and also like it's kind of relevant that his parents were murdered when he was a young boy, but like they never mention it. Yeah, 
until now. I don't think so, unless I totally glossed over But it. when Finley is told this information, she acts like she's known this the whole time. It's not like a shock to her. Like She acts like she's known that his parents died the whole time. If they do tell us, clearly it wasn't significant because neither of us remember it. Well, and I read this book basically twice. <laughs> so, so uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so she goes and talks to this elderly couple, which they're really cute they and are. like bicker and like... Yeah. That I really like this little <laughs> you can couple. Picture I think it. it's adorable. <laughs> they're really quite sweet. Uh, yeah. But they talk about the past when Holmes was like a what, like a ten, seven to ten year old mm-hmm. boy. His parents both were shot to death, mm-hmm. and the circumstances around this these deaths were very strange because the older man Finley's talking to was the one who heard the gunshots and ran over to the house like immediately after mm-hmm. it happened and he found them both dead mm-hmm. one of them was the wife was shot in the chest and the husband was shot like up under the chin so it looked like suicide yeah. so from his perspective he thinks that it's a murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. Right. It looked pretty clearly like a murder-suicide to me when I got there. Yeah. So he calls the police, who turns out the police is a, as a man named Joe Keaton is the officer that comes. And he was apparently a close friend of Charles Holmes's father. And it suspected that he kind of staged the murder scene a little bit. Right. To where it did not look like a murder-suicide. It and like he tried a home invasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the neighbor thinks that he kind of adjusted some things yeah. to make it look like a home invasion and that some like some valuables from the home went missing. Right. The rifle used for the murder, which belonged to the homes, mm-hmm. they were killed with their own rifle, was missing, which doesn't make a whole no. lot of sense like for a home invasion to like come in unarmed, steal their weapon, murder them with it and uh-huh. then take it with you is like, weird. <laughs> it's it doesn't make so yeah. he's like yeah it was all kind of a little iffy but the officer joe keaton you know made it look like a home invasion to cover up like the real horror he kind of wanted to like protect the reputation mm-hmm. of his friend right and yeah uh he's like yeah he made sure that the little baby girl was adopted and not sent into foster care like Holmes. and finley is like excuse me what what <laughs> he had a sister like actually though <laughs> <laughs> like for real for real yeah and, uh-huh yeah turns out they had a baby girl and the neighbor wife was like a practiced midwife mm-hmm. and that she had gone over to help mrs holmes give birth to this baby girl and that like there was no official record of this baby girl's birth she didn't have a birth certificate she was born at home everything was very off the grid and unofficial And so when they died, the officer just made sure that she was safe and went with a family that would love her. And that's all they really know. They don't have any other information for Finley. So this officer is passed away since then. So go talk to his widow, Penelope, to see if she knows about it, because that's as much as they know. This woman. This woman. Finley goes to talk to Penelope, and she is just what a horrible person. Just a terrible person. Yeah. Finley gets to their house and she, her first thought upon seeing this house. This is a big, nice house. Right. There's no way that this couple, because Penelope has never worked. It's always only been Joe. And he was like a very small town police officer. And she's like, there is no way you make this kind of money to buy this kind of house on a small town police Mm -hmm. officer's salary. 
Yeah. So she's already a little suspicious. And she talks to Penelope. I don't think she tells her anything. I think she says, like, I don't know anything and acts like she doesn't know anything until Finley mentions an estate, a possible estate. Yes, right. And then, I mean, this lady is very standoffish, but Finley's like, I'm going to tailor. So because she has mentioned this estate, Penelope goes to a house nearby because she's angry that people are there asking questions and she gets freaked out. So she immediately incriminates herself by going to this other house, being all upset and coming out of it. And lo and behold, it is Cherry Inglewood's parents' house that she has gone to. Yes. It turns out that Officer Joe Keaton had known this family and known this couple had known that they couldn't conceive, but that they had always wanted a kid of their own. And so he takes them, this baby girl, Mm -hmm. and is like, look, she needs somewhere to be. There's no official record of her anywhere. So Mm -hmm. they're very cute. They're so sweet. Yeah. They really love her. And they're genuinely freaked out that Cherry is missing. They're so scared for her. Mm -hmm. It's so sad because this woman reveals that Penelope and Joe basically blackmailed them for all of Cherry's life. They would show up and demand money or else they would tell like the government that they like have a child that's not really theirs and threaten to like have Cherry taken away from them. And so they have been funding Joe and Penelope Keaton and that's how their super fancy nice house came to be. It's it's sucks. just it's yeah, sickening. It is sickening. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah, but so you learn that Cherry and Charlie are siblings. Actually. Truly are siblings, yeah. And that Officer Keaton was murdered on the job very suspiciously and his murder has not been solved. And that never comes back. We never get an answer on that. I'm like, what are we supposed to believe? That Penelope, his wife, killed him? That Charlie killed him? That At the very end, Finley's like pondering. I think it's the very last chapter where Finley's like pondering how everything turns out because it comes to light that Charlie didn't actually kill kill Lance Lagarde, the murder he's in jail for, but that he didn't get the retrial that he wanted because it came to light that he did murder Joe Keaton. Why? That is not explained. (laughs) I have a note being like, I'm glad we got an answer here, (laughs) but it makes no sense, though. Yeah, I get why. So we come to find out that he killed his dad because his dad was going to do like a murder suicide he was going to kill the mom he was going to kill both of his kids the baby and his son but charlie stops him before he does that and he kills him so that's why it's like under his chin is because he's a child i get that right so charlie killed his parents to protect cherry like that was his he wasn't so much concerned for his own life as much as he was like you're not going to kill my baby sister so he kills his parents and there's no real reason ever given for why right. Charlie would want Joe Keaton, the officer, yeah, who like saw to it that his sister had somewhere safe. safe to be. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't That's I don't get it. Yeah. Unless he somehow found out the, about the blackmailing and didn't approve of that, but like to I, kill th- him? it's not explained. It's not explained. Yeah. You're not told that he knew about that, so you have nothing to back it up with. So I don't I don't love that. I don't love that either. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) They add this extra big story into it that's supposed to tie stuff together, but then they don't totally tie it together. And they could have if they had just like left Joe Keaton alive. Yeah. Why even murder him? 
Is it so that he stays in jail at the end of the book? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. So Finley has all of this new information and she's leaving Cherry's parents' house and she gets a call from Cherry Mm -hmm. freaking out saying she's going to kill me. Yes. And Cherry gives her like some vague descriptions of her environment. And she's like, I think we're at this place called the castle, which is an old prison. Mm -hmm. Horrible. Like an old abandoned prison. Uh, Yeah. No, no, no. Also I hate that. (laughs) Don't like that at all. And I don't know which twin Cherry thinks it is. Well, I have to point out up until I think Finley gets there, plural pronouns all the way. Oh, really? They're crazy. They're screaming at each other. When they dragged me out of the trunk, it's only one person. I. It's only one person. Why is she not telling Finley that it's only one person? It's to hold the I suspense. know, I hate it. That's the only reason. It's <laughs> annoying. And, and like, Cherry <laughs> understands that she has, like, split personalities. She, like, gets it, but you would still refer to her as one person. Yes. You would have to, I feel like I feel like you would have to make a conscious effort to remember to say there, there in the situation every time. It's totally just to make the big reveal bigger. And I I'm not and here it's for annoying. it. Yep. <laughs> uh so Finley tracks her down. She goes to this old abandoned prison. She gets in there. Cherry told Finley that Cecilia or the twin, whichever one, is armed. And so Finley's going in cautiously, like trying to de-escalate this situation because she doesn't want anybody to get hurt. And Cherry is not helping the situation. Like once she makes it down to her through this labyrinth of horror, down to this like dungeon cell that they're in, she is she's trying to de-escalate and Cherry's over there like just do something. Get the gun. She's crazy. She's a murderer. She's evil. Yeah, like, I would be like, shut up. <laughs> I know. Clearly, Finley's like using a tactic to try to talk her down. Cecilia's there. Uh, Finley gets there and Cecilia's there. And she's like, good. I'm glad you're here. We're all here to finish this. You get to be the jury. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I only kidnapped Cherry because I thought that was the only way you would come. That was the only way you would show up here. Which is wild. Once you know what you know, that she just happens to be there and that Cecilia didn't know her involvement. Very coinky dinky. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Finley uh, is trying to de-escalate the situation and she kind of starts noticing that Cecilia is like wearing a wig Mm -hmm. and that she has nail polish on. Yeah. And she's like, wait, but that's like Olivia's red nail polish, not Cecilia. She starts putting it together yeah, that, they that they are, are the, the same, same person. person. Yeah. So eventually she's like, I need to talk to Olivia now. She's trying to coax Cecilia to become Olivia because she thinks she'll have a better shot of talking Olivia down versus Cecilia. Mm-hmm. And she succeeds. Yeah. She switches right over and <laughs> she talks to uh, to Olivia. Yeah. And we get the tale of what happened Five years ago mm-hmm. with Lance's murder. So so supposedly Cecilia was out with Bethany partying with Charles Holmes. Right. But was Cecilia actually Cecilia that night or was this the night that Olivia well, impersonated? Cecilia was ill. She didn't go. Well, I'm just saying like Cecilia was out because when Olivia went out, she was dressed as Cecilia. So if real Cecilia was ill and didn't go. I think that is accurate. And I 
Then it was Olivia dressed as Cecilia. Yes, I think that was yeah. out partying with Bethany. Right. And real Cecilia was home. And real Cecilia was home. And real Cecilia witnesses what she thinks is Olivia murdering their father, stabbing their father to death. Yeah. And she kind of like blocks it out. She like runs away, gets away from the murder scene. Because she said that she was worried that she was watching herself do it because she's, you know, crazy. Like this isn't new that she has these issues. Yeah. She gets away from the murder scene. And then, of course, like it all plays out. Charles Holmes gets caught with the body somehow. She doesn't have an answer for that. And she says that she doesn't even really remember seeing that happen until later at one point, just like while they were home together, she sees Olivia in the garage and just like seeing her sister in that setting jolts her memory. And she remembers seeing Olivia or who she thought was Olivia killing their father. Mm-hmm. And she like murders Olivia in a rage. She like blacks out, wakes up and she has murdered her. It's like such Velma Kelly from Chicago vibes. She's got that line. It wasn't until later when I was washing the blood off my hands, I even knew they were dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that kind of vibe where she just like, she goes a little insane and she kills her sister because she hated her already, I guess. And Right. They already hated each other. And I think because she hated her so much, she wanted her to die anyway. She was already looking to have Holmes kill mm-hmm. her. So when she sees what she thinks or somebody that looks loosely like her sister murdering their dad, she just jumps to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. I think because she like wanted that. Yeah. She wanted to believe. Right. Yeah. It makes it easier for her to want to kill her sister mm-hmm. if she believes her sister killed their father. Right. You know? Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. So she murders her sister in a, like, blind rage. Then her mom helps her cover it up. Yeah. They gave her a fake identity out in California so that she's conveniently not there. Cecilia becomes agoraphobic, stays inside. And Sophia has to live with this. She's, like, protecting her favorite daughter and has to live with the split personalities of her daughter and everything, which makes that whole her killing herself thing just make no sense. She seems to be totally apparently there's a package. She seems to be totally fine with one of her kids dying, burying that kid in the backyard and like protecting the other daughter yeah. that she has left. Like mm-hmm. it's really weird and it doesn't seem like there's any residual guilt there. Right. Until all of a sudden she kills herself. Yeah. You don't dive into her personality nope. at all. You don't learn. Nope. Like, I don't have to suspend belief to assume that there was guilt there. Yeah. Like, that's reasonable to believe. But, like, there's just never anything we're told or shown that makes us feel like, oh, like, maybe she was really struggling with something. I really think that her death was just in there to be another death in the story. To further convolute mm-hmm. and confuse the story. Yep. I agree. So she manages to talk Olivia down and she gets the gun from her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Finley now has the gun and these women are like mostly okay. So she starts to take them out, like finds her way out of this prison with them. During them leaving, Cecilia is talking to Finley as Olivia. And Olivia's like, okay, but I really don't understand why Cecilia thought it was me because it wasn't. And then she like switches back to Cecilia and Cecilia stops walking 
and she looks at Cherry and she goes, it was you. How, okay, how would, how, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think the only way this works is if Cecilia always subconsciously knew that it wasn't Olivia. Yes, And she always subconsciously knew it was Cherry. How would Cecilia as Olivia know for a fact that it wasn't her? So it's like she had to always know that it was Cherry who killed Lance because there's no way it it makes sense any other way. Mm -hmm. So she was just like kind of willing to believe that Olivia would kill her father, their father, and didn't want it to be Cherry. She wanted it to be Olivia that killed him. That is giving it a lot of grace. It's giving it a lot of credit that's never explained or we're doing a lot of the work making these connections Mm -hmm. that are is not supported by the book itself right yeah (laughs) so yeah it's revealed that cherry actually killed lance she was having an affair with him she murdered him because he was like crazy stalker wouldn't let her go was like she was a victim of him he was like abusing her and and scaring her and she went over there to try to Tell him to back off. And she said she just wanted to scare him, but it got out of control and she ended up killing him, which is kind of sad. It is sad. I feel sorry for Cherry because her whole life has been like fucked. Yeah, I feel sorry for all of them. Like I genuinely believe her story when she's like, it was self-defense. Like I went, I was just trying to get out. The situation escalated. And I, anyway, so she calls Charles, her brother, to come clean it up for her. He cleans up the whole murder and gets caught and blamed, takes the blame. Because he loves her. He loves her. He always has wanted to protect her. He killed his parents mm-hmm. to protect her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has been visiting him in prison under the guise of being Alicia Arrington. Who she just like randomly saw in a store one day and stole her identity. And the supposed catalyst mm-hmm. for all of this taking off is that she has stopped visiting Charles in prison. So like these past five years, she's been visiting him regularly Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden she just kind of like stopped visiting him and he is... It's enough to make him go crazy. Right. Like he's already like unhinged, like willing to clearly willing to commit murder and he goes unhinged and is like, well, I'm going to bring all of this back into the limelight and comes up with this whole story of blaming the Lagards. Cecilia a scapegoat because... Basically, if she goes back and starts visiting him again and like nothing happened, then they're like, okay, we can make sure this gets pinned on Cecilia or I can make it go away again or whatever. Yeah, he's trying to freak her out. I don't know that he wanted her to get convicted, but he's trying to freak her out. He's just trying to manipulate her and scare her back into coming to see him regularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the truth is finally out in the open. They exit the building. Matt and Jack are there because Finley called them and told them where she was going um, before, like when she was on the way there. So they're there. Everything's safe. Everybody's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the next chapter is Finley sitting on her porch, kind of contemplating this past week of investigation and this whole murder case. I cannot believe this whole thing is only a week. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And you get, kind of the wrap-up of what happened to everybody. So Cecilia is in a psych ward being treated for a dissociative identity disorder. Charles Holmes is going to trial for uh, murdering Officer Keaton, okay, Mm -hmm. which Cherry has told them happened um, in order to lighten her own sentence for murdering Lance. She took a plea deal. 
So she totally throws him under the bus, this brother of hers that has protected her in huge ways. She's like, oh, I'm going to use him again to better myself. Anyways. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Finley's sitting on her porch and Jack shows up with a couple cans of paint and he's like, I'm here. We're going to start fixing up this house. You can't live like this. I love this is so sweet. This is a cute. Jack is so sweet. Yeah. And he's like, look, I brought you some blue paint. Blue's a calming color. Oh, yeah. Everything. It's going to be okay. Mm, Serene blue. Yeah. It's so sweet. Matt shows up with donuts and Mm -hmm. Finley goes inside to make a cup of coffee, a pot of coffee for them. And she finds a letter from Detective Wellman. Then this is the detective who previously was working Derek's murder case who just committed suicide. And he writes that what you believed happened is way off the mark and it had nothing to do with Finley and everything to do with Derek's past, which is a big like huge. I know. And you have learned crazy things about Derek throughout this whole story. And it really shines a new light on her believing that it's her fault that he died. And it might not be. It might be his fault. But like also... She's so convinced that it's this guy that is taking revenge out on her. So that's all. It becomes very confusing and you want to learn more. She walks back out front to the porch and her neighbor across the way is once again staring at Finley's house. And that's where we leave off. That's the end. So I I had a wild reaction to this ending chapter. I want to put it on the record. Okay. Because if we ever cover... The next rest one. of this series. Yeah. I want to be on the record saying I do not trust Matt. And I think Matt has something to do with this. Oh, really? Hmm. I could be totally wrong, but. Oh, I want that not to be true. There is weird timing things in this chapter. So Finley is trying to reassure herself that I can't be wrong about who killed Derek. There's no way I could be wrong about that. And like literally as soon as she has that thought, Matt knocks on the door like it's like knock knock and it just feels like if you are watching that play out Hmm. in a movie yeah Hmm. I didn't like the timing Hmm. of that and then she also hears Jack and Matt in the the next room she hears Matt laugh and she thinks to herself he's in love with you you know that right and she says don't be silly Derek we're just good friends best friends And it makes me feel like he fucking had something to do with Derek's murder because he wants Finley. Oh, oh, I hope not. And I think the reason that the neighbor is so intently staring at the end is because she is Matt is there. Matt is there. Matt has shown up. I don't like it. I'm just interesting. Was it? Oh, my God. Was it? Did she notice the neighbor staring at her when he was there changing her locks? I think she has been out there staring at other times. Like it's not always when it's Matt visiting. It was just those three things happening in a row. Like it literally says anger and frustration tore at her. She was not wrong about who killed Derek. Knock, knock. Okay. It's Matt like coming in. And like the timing of that freaked me out. And I was like, wait, is this? And I thought this was going to like end with like a sinister note. And then it just does two more things to make me feel like. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that because I think that's giving a lot of credit to the author. Whereas I don't know that she deserves it from the rest (laughs) of the book. (laughs) Maybe 
that could be entirely true. Like I said, I could be totally wrong. I'm interested. I kind of want to, you know, read the next I just got a weird read off of the way that that particular chapter was written. I'm so curious about Finley's story. I want to know more. I don't really care to read another case that she does. I just want to know the resolution to Finley's story. Yeah, I really want resolution to Finley and Derek's story, Mm -hmm. but I really don't have any or much interest in right. following her through another exactly. case. Exactly. Because to be honest, I didn't like this one very much. So, rating? <laughs> oh, yeah, we got it right. So my original rating that I had written down was two and a half okay. out of five. Yeah. Because I was feeling very neutral on it. Yeah. Mine was three because I was feeling neutral. But I, the more we talked about it, the more I actively started to dislike it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I feel kind of bad, but it bumped it down, I think, at least a half star for me. I for me, this one, I think my final, I'm gonna say two out of five. I like some of the characters. Yeah. But like some characters I feel like are written and described a lot better than others. Like I feel like I can picture Matt and Jack so much more easily than I can picture Finley because she never actually really talks about or gives you like a description Mm -hmm. of Finley Mm -hmm. like you're in Finley's head so you understand where her where she is mentally Mm -hmm. and you know her as a character mentally sort of for the most part but the writing's not very descriptive and the writing is very straightforward Mm -hmm. and kind of bland Mm -hmm. and just like but she wants it to be very juicy it just doesn't work the overall concept I think is a good one but mm-hmm. it didn't get developed in a way that like works. It's a frustrating read, guys. I it can't is a like bit. obviously like a two out of five. I can't say I'd recommend it. Yeah, I think I'll go two. I feel bad if my original one was three. I don't want to bump it down a <laughs> whole ass point. Two. We spent two we just spent three and a half hours ranting. <laughs> I know. I know. We didn't have many good things to say about. Okay, yeah, two. Two out of five. (laughs) I probably won't read the next ones unless we have followers that really want us to. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that I am invested enough to want to know what happened with Finley, but it's the sort of thing that I feel like I'll just Just wait. look it up. Until the books come out and just look up. exactly. Rather than (laughs) read it. Or just Google it Mm -hmm. someday. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Senior Detectives. Thanks so much for listening to us be really ranty (laughs) today. Please join us next time. We're going to be talking about the movie Crooked House, which is based on the Agatha Christie novel of the same name. Yeah. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.